0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Pengloss coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. You know, it's funny. I hear that every morning when I think of the term Action Radio, and we're it. This is this is where the action really is, you know. As I say, uh, you look at anywhere else in media, um, talk radio is predominantly conservative because we're intelligent enough to actually take questions, uh, as opposed to the leftist media where you can't question anything. You just take the propaganda, and that's it. You been know, shut up, or we're, or we're going to, uh, you know, throw you out of your job, your house, your bank account, and everything else. Uh, but really, this is this is you know, it's kind of strange. Actually, I was hoping for a lot more in terms of of uh talk show hosts to cross over and become action hosts and take our legislation to their audience directly and say hey i'm sick of just talking i want to i want some action dudes and dudettes i want to do stuff you know and they're not doing it and i find that quite surprising uh, unless they're comfortable um just talking and not actually doing anything and so i hope to change that i'll be talking to a few uh hosts i have a couple in mind i'm not going to say just who yet but um i was looking at my calendar and you know, this is crossover time for all of you who forgot to buy your January 2023 calendars. It, you know, you're late. <laughs> I actually got mine a couple months ago. And it sits there, and I put some things in, I put notes and things that I'm going to be doing this year. Um, one of the big ones is talking to a lot more talk show hosts and seeing if we can get that crossover, seeing if we can get those folks to uh, to come join us. Uh, and I and this is this is my arrogant analogy. I think it makes sense, but it still sounds arrogant, so I you know a little hesitant. But I, so I like to make that preface and uh, and disclaimer that action radio is it's kind of like the jazz singer was to silent movies and so the jazz singer was the first talking film uh and just as we are the first action radio show there will be more we will be copied uh you know and that's fine with me that's actually the the system is designed to do that whereas in talk radio every other host is seen as a rival because they're all covering basically the same stuff you know, the only question is how, how, much, how loud do they get, how much spin do they put on it, how, mu- how much do their nostrils flare and their eyes flash, and, you know, what are they doing to the information that we all have? And sometimes it's new information, that's good. So those folks that are breaking new information or new revelation or, or connecting dots in ways that no one has before, that's good. Those, those folks are, are breaking new ground. But for the most part, talk show hosts always talk about what's, what's, what's already happened. And so you know what's happened. It's just a question of, of either getting the information, if it's a straight news show, or, or getting the information with a little commentary, and, but nothing really changes. And so uh, that's the problem. So then with us here, we come along and say, wait a minute, you know, we, we have a, a constitutional amendment to uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money. So all you folks who are complaining about the $1.7 trillion dollars. Uh, in that last bill and the inflation, you know, reduction increase act before that and the and the COVID spending five trillion before that and all these different bills, the, the seven trillion, you know, plus the, the wasted money on Ukraine creating a war there. And I do believe that U.S. government taxpayer spending created the war without the war. Uh, there would have had forced negotiations. Uh, they would, NATO would not have, if NATO had not accepted or gone to Ukraine, just left it alone. In fact, if NATO had just gone away, <laughs> you know, or stay in the Western European countries, you know, so uh, just, just just stop along the the, war, the old division between the Warsaw Pact of Eastern Europe and the NATO countries. That, that's it. We're not going any further. You know, just, you guys, you figure the rest out. There wouldn't have been a war. There's been no reason to. In fact, that was the, those are the six points that Putin put forward. You know, and the biggest one was, you know, don't put Ukraine in NATO. And that, that's like saying, uh, you know, don't make, uh, you know, Cuba an adjunct of the, of the Russian Communist Party, you know, and, and put missiles there. It's, it's the same kind of thing. Anyway, um, so that's my hope for this year is we all have everybody else has New Year's resolutions. I have revolutions. I, I believe in a revolution. I believe in a peaceful revolution. I believe that Action Radio is a peaceful revolution. I believe that uh, reversing the trend of, of the way laws work from special interest to government to people, and instead reversing that so that it goes people to government over special interests. That's that's our secret to success. That's our way to freedom. But it, it takes participation. And it doesn't take a lot of participation, but it does take some. And what it really takes is sharing the shows and sharing the bills. I mean, I've said that over and over again, but it really is literally that simple. So you, you go to writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. Uh, and you go to uh, click on legislation, click on all proposed laws. they the ones that uh, need to be submitted. and. You know, you find a bill you like, whether it's a constitutional amendment uh, to take the power of Congress to borrow money or our vaccine product liability bill or a big tech censorship bill or our, our citizen um, bill, which uh, puts the citizenship on your driver's license and uh, has a bunch of criteria that you can't do unless you're a citizen. That bill is designed to make it impossible for illegal aliens to live here and would take care of Brandon's five million illegals because they couldn't function in our society. Well, if you take away their ability to function in, their, in our society, they're going to go back home where they belong until they apply to come here legally, you know, and chances are it's better off. It's easier and faster to make their home better by simply uh, saying, look, if you had freedom, you wouldn't have these problems. You know, and that's how you do that. Anyway. So that's the big thing. Huge thing this year is going to be to, let me drag my calendar over here and take a look, but that's a huge one is to get talk show hosts becoming action hosts. And again, the uh, back during the silent movie days. So sort of return to my analogy here back during the silent movie days, the uh, the producers, the directors, uh, the silent movie industry, those bar- the, the 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 backers and the sponsors, and all the folks behind the entire silent movie industry said, uh, "This is all that will ever be." Everybody loves silent movies. You'll never have, you know. Wh- why would you change anything? They they had their piano player and they had their script and they uh, they put up the sound things and you know. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, wait a minute! How many thousands of years have we had plays in theaters where they spoke?" I said, "The idea of silent movies was never a good idea, simply because people." You know they could go to a play, um, they could go to a musical, they could go anywhere and see people talking and singing and speaking you know roles <laughs> you know back to Shakespeare and beyond what the with the Homer, the Iliad, and the Odyssey. I mean, how long have plays been around? How many thousands of years have we had plays? And these arrogant jerks thought that people would accept silent movies forever. No, the only reason they accepted it was because there were movies. they'd never seen movies before, but it never made sense. same thing with with color when the when the same idiots, the same. You know, people stuck in the mud, same, uh, you know, curmudgeons. Oh, we don't need color. What do you want color for? Black and white, it's perfect. It's, it's shading. It's imagination. It's great. It's also cheaper, right? Well, of course, as soon as the first color films came out and the color TV shows came out and co- as soon as the color TVs came out, everybody bought color TVs and wanted to see chosen color. <laughs> you know, I mean, Ted Turner spent a fortune colorizing movies that were black and white. And that was stupid because they actually were better in black and white. But the point is that technology wins and people want what's new and better. Well, same thing I think is going to apply to action radio. Why would you listen to somebody complain when you can actually you know, copy a link to a bill or even write a bill yourself, even better, right, and, and send that in and have your friends send it in and, and people across the country send it in and talk show hosts talk about the bill that you wrote and send it, and have, a, have a, a, a legal president sign it? I mean, the, I mean as far as politics go, that, that's kind of like the ultimate, I think, is to take a regular person with a brilliant idea Go through the process. Go through the legislative process. Normal, we, we don't change the legislative process. We just change the type of bills that go through it. See, that's the difference with Action Radio. And so, But have a regular person get a bill to the president's desk. That would be Trump these days. <laughs> he, I, don't, I don't care about the current occupant. But that's the potential of Action Radio. And all of you have that. Every one of you listening, like every one of you not listening, <laughs> you know, have the potential to write a bill that could be passed into law and signed by the president of the United States. That's what Action Radio represents. That's the change that we're talking about. That's where we're going. And all you folks that are sitting back and saying, "Well, you haven't passed any bills yet. You know, you're not big enough." Okay, well, fine. You know, the way we get bigger and the way we pass bills is that people get involved. So you got to have a little faith. Okay, you got to have a little faith in change. You got to have a little faith in the system. You you need to be, you know, you need to buy Microsoft before it's, uh, you know, it's a multi-trillion-dollar company. Okay, that's where we are right now. So if you want to get in early, uh, I'm looking for sponsors. Okay, we've got uh, it's easy. We've got go dot com slash action radio, and we've got paypal. dot com slash paypal me slash action radio. And PayPal, I think, is more for the sponsors. I'll make you a commercial, and I'll, I'll be able to create something for you because I have all the production stuff here. I, went to, I actually went to school for it right? back in my fifties. <laughs> it was interesting. i in the sixties now, but in, in my fifties, I you know, went to school for all this stuff, and so I can do that. But uh, I'm looking for regular contributors who believe in freedom, who believe in what we're doing here. That say, yes, I want to help you out at, you know, 25 bucks a month or something. I don't care. You know, whatever you help is going to help. And so it does cost money to put the show on. uh, And I want to have this grow. And we need need a, you know, big marketing budget. So as the show grows, I can attract the, the midsize and then the big national companies. I mean, I think it'd be great to have, you know, Ruger, you know, Smith & Wesson and Glock sponsor Action Radio we'd have a pretty good marketing budget. I mean, that's where we're going with this. So my New Year's resolutions are actually New Year's revolutions, and the revolution is the peaceful revolution of action radio to basically change talk radio, to change talk radio into action radio on a national and a worldwide scale and to have uh, the the situation of of laws reversed so that instead of the special interests dictating the government, you know, ruling over the people, the people send our laws to government and then they rule over the special (laughs) interests. So that's how I see it going. All right. So what's been going on lately in the news? Well, the two things I found that were quite fascinating. And the first one uh, is the idea that Trump should be uh, speaker of the house. And I've got mixed feelings on this. The novelty aspect is hysterical. I do think it would be funny. I mean, I really do. Uh, the second aspect is that it would distract him from being president and people would say, well, now that you're speaker, you, know, you, you might as well stay there. And so every time I look at anything to do with Trump, I think who's behind it and do they want Trump to succeed or fail? And so when it comes to the deep state, when it comes to those promoting Trump to be Speaker, when it comes to uh, anybody saying, oh, I'm, you know, I'm for you, I'm a mega person. The first thing is, do you really want Trump to succeed, which means do you want America to succeed, or do you want Trump to fail? In other words, do you want to maintain the, the deep state privilege, corruption of, of any number of, uh, you know, dictatorships around the world? Because that's what it is. I mean, make no mistake, the Republicans and the Democrats want a, uh, a deep state dictatorship. They want a security state. They want to monitor everybody. They want all the controls of the worst of communism. The only difference is we still have a constitution and we still have a certain measure of freedom. So they can't do what ultimately I think they would do, which is lock up the people that object to them. Um, But they managed to have done that in D.C. with the D.C. jail. See, there's an interesting thought that somebody had. I don't know where I heard this, that if nobody lived in D.C., uh, it was just a government entity, then things would be completely different. You wouldn't have D.C. jails. See, I don't think anybody should be tried in D.C., uh, I think d c as a federal government entity, you know there are only three federal crimes, and that's piracy, uh treason, and counterfeiting. So unless you're being accused of and charged with those three crimes, then there is no d c justice system because you can't do it and of course like like I said, if nobody lived there, it'd be a whole different situation. And I think that's the way it should be. so what I'm curious about and this is, this is a, let me ask, actually this is a Jonathan question states you know what if the states took their people back from the d c jail so look you can't you can't try my people. You know these these are these are citizens of the state of you know Florida Texas you know uh, Georgia you know wherever they're from you know Pennsylvania all the people that are locked up in in the D.C. gulag and so, say look these are state citizens they're not citizens of D.C. because D.C. doesn't have citizenship it's a it's a territory it's a district it's a special entity but it has no none of the regular jurisdictions of a state and all these people in that jail are citizens unless they unless they live in D.C. Uh, of course if they live in D.C. they're probably you know guards. That's you know, a different thing. So let me put uh, state seizure. I'm going to Last is Jonathan in the next hour. State seizure of J6 in... There we go. It's hard to type around my microphone. In DC Gulag. I heard somebody else calling it the DC Gulag. Something I've been calling it for, I don't know, a year or more. So it's nice to see these terms taking, taking on. But the thing is, the 14th Amendment says very clearly that you are a citizen. Uh, if, you, if you are a citizen of the United States, okay, not an illegal alien, but if you, if you are a, not, not a permanent resident, but if you're a citizen of the United States, you are also a citizen of the state in which you reside. And that means that that state has jurisdiction over you. Okay, so if the state has jurisdiction over you, then, this, then I'm, not, I'm surprised that a state government hasn't gone to D.C. and said, we're taking our state citizens out of here and maybe bringing the National Guard with them or the State Guard at that point. That would be very interesting to see. Or have it go right to the Supreme Court so that like, we have an emergency uh, declaration, we are taking our citizens back to the state. Now, if the, government, if the federal government wants to try them in our state, that's okay. But they can't try them in D.C. because D.C. is a district, it's not a state. And these are citizens of a state and they deserve state protection. Uh, innocent, proven guilty. We all know the same federal government that's trying to try these people. Um, of bogus things, you know, and convict them is doing it for political oppression. They're not doing it for reasons of justice. Okay, so that's where we stand. Anyway, so 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 I've got my chat for Jonathan ready. Uh for, for Dorothy, I have no idea what she's going to bring up. That's our, our sex and sensuality report and that's at nine o'clock today. And I got about forty five minutes to get two articles out. So let me take a quick break, play you a couple things. When I come back I'm going to start with the story of Southwest from a pilot who I don't know who it is. Uh, so I found it on another post and I don't know if that pres- who found it on another post. And I'm not sure if that's the pilot who wrote it, so I'm not going to give credit to this. I'll just keep it anonymous, but it makes perfect sense. So let me play a couple things for you and be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try, even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The complete guide to flight instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklos Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Gravecare. Care. And now as an affiliate of Grave Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Gravecare Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is GrapeCare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H Care. Dot com. You can email them at gracecare.adm@gmail.com at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Grace better health through better knowledge and advocacy. All right, let's get down to the newsroom and see what's going on. down to the teletype so again the source for this story is uh, Facebook and it's a, it was a post about Southwest. I'm just going to read it because it really uh, encapsulates uh, exactly what I think is happening there, and it's fascinating. that This was sent to me, and, and again, I have a lot of wonderful sources of people that send me stuff. Uh, a lot of times they send me other people's shows, which is nice, but I don't have time to watch somebody else's show. I'm sorry, I just don't. Uh, and besides, especially there, you know, a lot of times they're covering things I've already covered, uh, and the people that are sending them haven't heard you know my show yet. So I send them back my show you know, dated before their show that they're sending me. Um, And it's like, oh, gee, I didn't know. I said, well, no, start here. We're we're the source. We're the originators of of so much stuff. Um, That's the whole point of being on the cutting edge. Anyway, Southwest, I reported last week, I found something in Kyle Becker's uh, article. Uh, I think it's wildfire, uh, what it's called on Substack. And he talked about a uh, pilot that came forward and said, look, people aren't joining Southwest because they're still insisting on this stupid COVID jab. And as we all know, it's, it's much more dangerous for pilots, A, because of what they do, and B, because they're, they work in an oxygen-reduced uh, environment you know, with a cabin pressure of about 8,000 feet, which is about 3,000 feet above Denver. So in other words, a cabin pressure means that's the equivalent of, of being at an eight, on, on top of an 8,000-foot mountain. So the pressure is the same in an airliner, even if the airliner is at 35,000 feet. The pressure is the same inside that cabin, not outside the airplane, but inside the airplane, as it would be if you're standing on an 8,000-foot mountain. So it's not sea level. They do not pressurize to sea level, and so, of course, that changes everything. You know, so you've got all kinds of other problems going on, and pilots sit a lot, which is conducive for blood, clot, blood clots and everything else. So they're much higher risk of, of the high risks that already exist with the COVID jab. And so that's why that's a critical thing. And if you're requiring something of your new applicants that may kill them, injure them, or prevent them from doing the career that they're applying for in the first place with Southwest, I maybe mean, pilots, flight crew, cabin crew, things like that, then that's just irrational. But yet that's what they're doing. So we covered that last week. We covered the fact that there's a, there is a, a huge problem with Southwest requiring something that I think, I don't know if the other airlines do it still. I hope not because it is so dangerous. I don't want to fly, you know, with an airline crew um, that, uh, that's been jabbed. And, uh, you know, in fact, I actually uh, had a proposal that anybody, you know, with any kind of flight experience, especially, you know, especially if you've been unjabbed, you know, sign up on your ticket, say, yes, yes, I get, you know, I've been a flight instructor. So I, I could fly an airliner. Um, it'd take a little practice. It wouldn't be perfect, but I could do it. I mean, the principles are, are the same on an airliner as they are, you know, on a small, uh, small single engine or twin engine airplane. They just are, you know, the elevators make you go up and down. <laughs> for the most part, you know, ailerons bank it, the rudder turn, you know, health turn and just, you know, all these different things. That's oversimplistic. I'll, 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 I could get into theoretical aerodynamics another time, but it's basically it. Throttle, you know, is your power, you know, and your flight controls, you know, make the airplane do what you want the airplane to do. Or, or it's just, worst comes to worst, punch the autopilot, <laughs> you know, punch the auto land. You know, it's boring, but, you know, uh, that would be the safest thing for, for someone, especially a non-flight person that doesn't know anything about airplanes. Punch the auto land, program the airplane. You know, and the tower could teach people how to do that. So that's the thing about airlines being so automated because the pilots actually forget how to fly. But that's another story, too. Anyway, so back to this article. So let me just get to it. It says, what happened to Southwest Airlines? It's the person who wrote this says, I've been a pilot for Southwest Airlines for over 35 years. I've given my heart and soul to Southwest Airlines during those years. And quite honestly, Southwest Airlines has given its heart and soul to me and my family. Sounds like a good, you know, good arrangement. I mean, I don't think you can ask much more from a job than that. Then he says, or I don't know, I should, I, I don't know I'm saying he, but I, don't, I shouldn't assume that because the person that posted was a he, so I guess that where it goes. Anyway, so the pilot said, many of you have asked what caused this epic meltdown, and that would be the, uh, the Southwest uh, scheduling where the 2,000 or so flights were being canceled over the holidays. pilot says, unfortunately, the frontline employees have been watching this meltdown coming like slow motion train, like a slow motion train wreck for some time. And we've been begging our leadership to make much-needed changes in order to avoid it. What happened yesterday, in other words, when they canceled thousands of flights, started two decades ago. And, of course, this makes perfect sense. Things don't happen overnight, generally in corporations or anywhere. Pilot says, Herb Kelleher, this is the original CEO, K-E-L-L-E-H-E-R, if you want to look up Herb, H-E-R-B, Kelleher, was the brilliant CEO of Southwest Airlines since 2004. He was a very operationally-oriented leader. Herb spent lots of time on the front line. He always had his pulse on the day-to-day operation and the people who ran it. That philosophy flowed down through the ranks of leadership to the frontline managers. We were a tight operation from top to bottom. We had, the, we had tools, leadership, and employee buy-in. Everything that was needed to, you know, employee buy-in is incredible because now the employers are owners. Well, some of the companies were employee-owned like Avis, They're incredibly successful because people are working not only for the company, which is okay, but they're working for themselves. That's really okay. (laughs) That makes a huge difference. Uh, pilot says everything that was needed to run a first-class operation. When Herb retired in 2004, Gary Kelly became the new CEO, and that's K E L L Y. Let me talk about uh, airlines just for a bit, because I know a little bit about them. You know, having, cause I spent you know half my life wanting to fly for them, <laughs> actually more than half my life, about two thirds of my life, uh, wanting you know up to this point wanting to be an airline pilot. And many times I tried, many times something happened, and it just it just didn't uh, it didn't work out. But what I know about airlines is that airlines originally were started by pilots, you know, or people who really knew airlines or really loved airlines. They loved the day-to-day. They loved the day-to-day. They loved the promotion. They loved the, uh, uh, getting their hands into the operation side of it. In other words, the the the, the scheduling, the pilots, you know, the, the airplanes, the weather, the dispatch, you know, the the the, the luggage, the, the customer service, the design of the airplanes, the interior cabins. I mean, they did everything. Right? So people that come to mind, Frank Borman, who was an astronaut, ran Eastern Airlines. And this is back before uh, the 80s and they all merged and deregulation. But, but the old style airlines, Pan Am was one trip. A T-R-I-P-P-E, I think it was Lebanese. Uh, but the, he was the boss of Pan American Airlines, which was dedicated to serving, to taking the United States to the world and the world to the United States. They didn't have domestic flights at Pan Am. So that was, I guess, part of their regulation. But Pan, everyone knew Pan Am, Pan American, UK, okay? kidding. From, from uh, World War II, actually before World War II, with the old DC-3s. And I think then the, uh, after World War II, DC-4s, DC-6s, I think Pan Am introduced the 707 uh, in 1959 or 1960. Uh, 1970, they had the uh, 747, and Pan Am was great until they went bankrupt because, they, you know, deregulation lost their way, problems, things like that. TWA was uh, started by Eddie Rickenbacker, the World War I pilot, if I remember. Transworld Airlines, they did both domestic and international, so they covered everything. Trans World Airlines was, was a great airline, but it was run by a pilot, a like World War One ace. And then the, I think they had other pilots in charge. So the airlines, they didn't have to run by pilots, but they had to be run by people who knew an airline. Uh, and then, of course, you had the great mergers later on um, in, the, I think it was the 80s and 90s, the arbitragers. Carl Icahn comes to mind. He basically bought Eastern and wrecked it, <laughs> you know, and other people like that. So the arbitragers came in. They bought the airlines. They just wanted them for cash cows. They they used them for their purposes, threw them away. A lot of them went bankrupt. You know, so the great airline purge, the deregulation time. You had the old airlines, PWA, Pan Am, American, United, Delta, uh, Western, Eastern, National, uh, Braniff, and I think there was a couple of others in there. Those are the original airlines. Then you had the big deregulation, and you had People's Express, New York Air. Uh, some of these different ones came up, Piedmont. And then you had another a uh, big shift, and all those that went broke. And then you had uh, the, the, the originals that were still there, Delta, United, American. Those are still the big three. And I think they met, and then they had the regional. Then they did the hub and spoke. And then they got the regional airlines, like American had American Eagle, little prop jobbers, and they had little commuter airlines. And now you've got Spirit, Frontier, you know, some other regional airlines, uh, commuter airlines like Mesa and things like that. And so it's, uh, it's a very different system. Uh, and it's, it's hub and spoke, and it's, it's deregulated, so a lot of places aren't served. A lot of places are overserved. Prices, I don't think, I think prices were regulated under, dere- under regulation so that it didn't cost, you know, five times as much to fly a, a, a smaller flight, like say a uh, Miami, you know, New Orleans flight, for example. Uh, the big, the, the flights that are the cheapest are the longest, you know, San Francisco and Los Angeles to New York and, uh, you know, Boston and Washington, the cross-country flights, because those are the ones that, that are the most used and those are the cheapest. Anyway. The point of all this is the airlines, when they're run by people that actually love the airlines, knew the airlines, there were operations people, they did fine. Once the carpetbaggers, the the arbitragers, the the, the bean counters, the people that didn't care about the airlines, they didn't care about airplanes, they didn't care about the passengers. It was just dollars and cents and stocks and options and, you know, profit and dividends and things like that. Those folks, you know, like the character Richard Gere played in, uh, in Pretty Woman. Those people that generated nothing, did nothing, bought companies, sold companies, wrecked companies, and took the profit from selling off the parts, they created absolutely nothing. They did nothing. And those are the people who started running the airlines. Well, no wonder they went broke. Anyway, back to the article. Um, So the the original person, Herb Kelleher, and I don't think he was an airline person. He might not have even been a pilot, but he was an operations person. He was a hands-on CEO. And that makes the difference for any company. Anyway, so the pilot then says Gary, talking about Gary Kelly, the new CEO uh, after 2004, says Gary was an accountant by education and his style leading Southwest Airlines became more focused on finances and less on operations. That, in, in essence, is the problem right there. He says he did not spend much time on the front lines. He didn't engage frontline employees much. When the CEO doesn't get out in the trenches, then neither do the lower levels of leadership. So in other words, they all become insulated. It's like GM. You know, the uh, GM, Ford, and Chrysler, the reason that their cars sucked in the, in the 70s is because they were so insulated and they believe they own on propaganda. Americans will always buy big cars. Those, those little funny little Japanese and German cars, nah, never going to be a problem. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> you know, as, as history, but otherwise. Uh, anyway, the same thing at Southwest. Yeah, Southwest is king. You know, we're the bargain airplane leader. You know, nobody else is going to fly anybody else. So we'll always be great. <laughs> Wrong. So the article says Gary named another accountant to be chief operating officer. So you got one accountant naming another account. Nothing wrong with accountants. I mean, accounting is great, especially if you're in an accounting firm. But it doesn't make you an operations person, it makes you a finance person, it makes you a bean counter. And accountants are great, but I don't know if they should be running companies other than accounting companies. Just a thought. If you're an accountant and you disagree, give me a call, 215-383-3832. Or you can always type into live chat. Live chat's available anywhere in the world. So you just go to the bottom of our broadcast page, sign in, get yourself a free account, and you can type in a message on live chat. So back to the article, Gary named another accountant to be chief operating officer, and that's the person responsible for day-to-day operations. The new COO, or as I say, the new coup, <laughs> had little or no operational background. So now you got two people. See, people in companies hire people that are like them. So if one person is from one area, they'll hire somebody else from the same area, which is stupid. You want to hire somebody else from a completely different area. So if you're an accountant, CEO, and you're managing the finances, you want a chief operating officer that's an operations person, that's a hands-on manager, to complement you. You notice people at, at Action Radio are not like, well, in the sense we all have ADHD, but I have people from all kinds of different specialties. Why? Because I can't do it all. And I recognize my limitations. Clint Eastwood, good man, knows his limitations. You know? And so that's why I have people that uh, compliment what, what I don't do or can't do. That's why. It makes a better show. They're not stupid. I know that, you know, that uh, you know, this kind of diversity actually works. Back to the article. So anyway, he says, the new COO had little to no operational background. This truckled down through the, the lower levels of leadership as well. They all disengaged the operation, disengaged the employees, and focused more on return, on investment, stock buybacks, and Wall Street. This approach worked for Gary's first eight years because we were still riding uh, the strong wave that Herb, that's Herb Kelleher, had built. But as time went on, the operation began to deteriorate. There was little investment in upgrading technology. After all, how do you measure the return on investing in infrastructure? Well, it's easy. Stuff works. (laughs) That's a huge investment, right? The company grows. That's how you measure it. But anyway. Then they say, or the tools we needed to operate efficiently and consistently. As the frontline employees began to see the deterioration in our operation, we began to warn our leadership. We educated them. We informed them. And we made suggestions to them but to no avail. The focus was on finances, not operations. As we saw more and more deterioration in our operation, our asks turned to pleas. Our pleas turned to dire warnings, but they went unheeded. After all, the stock price was up, so what could be wrong? (laughs) Yeah, really? We were a motivated, willing, and proud employee group wanting to serve our customers and uphold the tradition of our beloved airline, the airline we built and the airline that the traveling public grew to cheer for and love. But we were watching in frustration and disbelief as our once amazing airline was becoming a house of cards. Now what's interesting about this is that you think, where's the FAA? You know, how can I can let this happen? The airplanes, you know, were, I, I believe the airplanes were always safe. I believe the airplanes and the, and the maintenance and, uh, and the pilot training, all of that, that stuff was working, you know, because it had to by regulation, you know, I mean, uh, Southwest, uh, I think flying record is as good as any airline. probably better than most. That's not the issue. What we're talking about here is everything else, you know, baggage, customer service, um, the scheduling, the computers, the, uh, you know, the the way that you use the airline for everything other than the actual flight operation. That's where I think the problems were. And it says so in the article. It says a half dozen small scale meltdowns occurred during the mid to late 2010s. With each mini meltdown, leadership continued to ignore the pleas and warnings of the employees in the trenches. We were still operating with 1990s technology. Sounds like the federal government. We didn't have the tools we needed on the line to operate the sophisticated and large airline we had become. We could see that the wheels were about ready to fall off the bus, but no one in leadership would heed our pleas. This, This is all too familiar. I mean, I've heard stuff like this before. And this isn't the only company where this is going on. You look at most companies they have a board of directors that is the same board of directors for any number of other companies. There's like the, uh, the, the the board of directors class, it's like their own group. And these people go to four board meetings a year and they, for different companies. And they think if you can run one company, you can run all companies because they basically are finance dollars and cents, investment, capital return, stock market prices, price earnings ratios and all that kind of stuff. All right. Now that's a large extent of the company, but it's not all the company. There's the whole operation side. And for the operation side, the actual workings of the company you need people that know the company, uh, and this is where you need as much as you know. It's good to have finance people. You have to have people that started at the bottom. You have to have people that work their way up through the company. You know, you have to have people that were managers, you know, operations managers, systems managers, people that were uh, that ran the various divisions of the company in the upper management of that company. Otherwise, how does anybody the hell know what's going on in that company? So what you get is this division. You get this complete division between those that that. Uh, Work at the company and run the company, and those that sit there and watching the money of the company. We can't do that. That's one thing that Japanese companies are really good at, and some of the European ones too, is that they really go down to the workers themselves and they say, "What is going on?" And they have meetings. You know, the CEO will drop onto the the assembly line or the or the uh, whatever the, the the retail area. And say, "Hey, what's going on here?" You know, uh, we have a whole show about that. Undercover Boss, all right? So, Undercover Boss is the perfect example. Uh, I wish they did one for, have they done one for Southwest? Does anybody know? But Undercover Boss is the perfect example of what happens when companies screw up, when the the CEO becomes too distant from the employees and they haven't a clue what's going on. So Undercover Boss should be seen by every boss. Every supervisor, every manager, every vice president, every president, every CEO, and every board of directors should be made to watch a series of Undercover Boss so that you know what the hell's going on with your own company. Anyway, I digress. So then it says, then he says, but no one heard our pleas. He says when he the pilot sorry you know shouldn't generalize the the article says when COVID happened Southwest Airlines scaled back considerably as did all the airlines for about two years. This helped conceal the serious problems in technology infrastructure and staffing that were occurring and being ignored. But as we ramped back up, the lack of attention to the operation was waiting to show its ugly head. Gary Kelly retired as CEO in early 2022. Bob Jordan was named CEO he was a more operationally oriented leader. He replaced our chief operating officer with a very smart man, and they announced their priority would be to upgrade our airline's technology and provide frontline employees the operational tools we needed to care for our customers and employees. Finally, someone acknowledged the elephant in the room. But, this is a big but, two decades of neglect take several years to overcome, and unfortunately to our horror, our house of cards and tumbling down this week as a routine winter storm. Well, it's actually not what I call routine winter storm; it's a big one. But anyway, today, it's a routine winter storm broke our 1990s operating system. Can you imagine uh, if you could only if one company offered uh, computers? You know, let's let's call it uh, Nostalgic Computers Incorporated. Nostalgic Computers operated, you know, offered you only 1990s, you know, Macintosh, you know, little TV screen computers. How many people would buy one? <laughs> I mean, it answers his own question. Well, if you wouldn't buy one, why would you make your airline use them? You know, that's the question. So that, that's idiocy. That's stupidity. Again, comfort, insulation, believing your own propaganda, and not talking to the people doing the job. I mean, that's a fatal flaw for any company. Article says the employees were ready and on station. This is talking about during the winter storm. We were properly staffed. We were at the airports. Hell, we were on the airplanes. And here's the, here's the key to the whole thing. But our antiquated software systems failed, coupled with a decades-old system of having to manage 20,000 frontline employees by phone calls. No automation had been developed to run this sophisticated machine. We had a routine winter storm across the Midwest last Thursday. A larger-than-normal number of flights were canceled as a result. But what should have been one minor inconvenient day of travel turned into this nightmare. After all, American, United, Delta, and the other airlines operated with only minor flight disruptions. The two decades of neglect by Southwest Airlines' leadership caused the airline to lose track of all its crews, all of us. We were there with our customers at the jet, ready to go. And this is the other one. But there was no way to assign us, to confirm us, to release us to fly the flight. That's required by the FAA. They have, all flights have to be dispatched. Okay? That's, that's an absolute requirement. Now, they did it before computers. But I guess these guys had no backup, but their old computers. When the computers broke down, they had no manual backup, apparently. And it says, and we watched as our customers got stranded without their luggage missing their Christmas holiday. He says, I believe that our new CEO, Bob Jordan, inherited a mess. This meltdown was not his failure, but the failure of those before him. I believe he has the right priorities, but it will take time to right this ship. A few years at a minimum. Old leaders need to be replaced. Operationally oriented managers need to be brought in. I hope and pray Bob can execute on his promises to fix our once-proud airline. Time will tell. It's been a punch in the gut for us on frontline employees. We care for the traveling public. We have spent our entire career serving you, safety, efficiently, safely, efficiently, with love and pride. We are horrified. We are sorry. We are sorry for the chaos, inconvenience, and frustration our airline caused you. We are sorry. We are embarrassed. We are sad like you, the traveling public. We have been let down by our own leaders. Well, that's usually how it works. Herb once said, that's Herb Kelleher. <clears throat> it says, Herb once said, the biggest threat to Southwest Airlines will come from within, not from other airlines. What a visionary he was. I miss Herb now more than ever. I and mean, it's a fabulous article, and it really is. But if you look at look at our own government, okay, look at our own government, it's exactly the same model. People came in instead of uh, dollars and cents of uh, um, of stocks on the on, uh, stock market and the commodities and the, you know, the dividends and price earnings ratios and all the things that they used to measure, you know, profit in a company, the deep state came in and measured contributions and money and power and perks. And they became ever more distant from the voters. They became ever more distant from their own party, from the, from the members of their own party, the, the, the so-called rank and file, which I think applies to military ranks, you know, uh, front to back and, and files, you know, vertically, Anyway, so <laughs> you, you can figure it out. But the point is that the parties had become distant from Americans. Parties are like Southwest. The Republicans and the Democrats, the, the Marxist Democrats and the surrender-gelding Republicans, you know, the two sides of the deep state, you know, the, the slaves and the slave owners, slave owners being the Democrats and the slaves being the Republicans, uh, have formed a unit of deep statery that is distant from we the people. That's why Trump was so good. And this is why Trump is absolutely vital to have back in. First of all, he's pissed off. Secondly, he knows where all the problems are now. Thirdly, he's had four years to think about it. And fourth, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch Trump back in office. Uh, Nobody else can do it the same way that he can. And this is why I want him back. But you look at Congress, you look at the deep state, you look at Mitch McConnell and, uh, and, you know, Kevin McDeep State, Kevin McCarthy. You look at all these people and they're exactly the same problem, exactly the same as Southwest. They've lost touch. They become insulated. They believe their own propaganda. They don't listen to anybody but themselves. And they have problems. And this is what happens. All right. Play a couple more little things. We'll take another break. And I'll be right back in a little bit. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, W-Y-L, to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeForceEnergy.com. That's StrikeForceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going, an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. So for the last little bit before Jonathan gets here, I wanted to take up this uh, this rather amusing topic. (laughs) I like to have fun here, too. And the idea of Trump being Speaker of the House. And I've got some thoughts on this. I think it would be—I uh, don't think it's a good idea. I just think it's a good idea to talk about, just because it would piss off the left. Uh, the idea that Trump could be there uh, and uh, you know presiding over and uh, you know doing all the investigations and things like that—I uh, don't want to see it because I think that would be a, a come down. I think it would be a, a lower position, and he looked like a political hack. He says, "Well, he's just after a government job. And he doesn't need that." He needs to be presidential, maintain presidential, uh, that that presidential air about him, and he needs to just stay with what he does best, which is being president. And so I think it's a mistake to do, but I think it's really funny anyway, <laughs> so I want to talk about it. So I found an article here that uh, – let's see if I can find it here. Ah, here we go. So this is a new website, which I've already told about my show. Hopefully, they're going to carry it, Freedom First Network. So if you all want to go to freedomfirstnetwork.com. Uh, you can find a bunch of different articles and, and all kinds of shows that I think, like most shows, you know, are all saying the same thing with different hosts. <laughs> you know, it's my kind of cynical view of talk radio and, and uh, podcasts right now. And you're all saying the same thing. It's all, you're all getting the same news. You're all reporting the same news, and you're all giving the same spin. This is terrible. We have to do something about this. We have to take our country back. Well, if you want to take your country back, come to Action Radio because we actually have, uh, have the plan to do that. I think it's a very good plan. It's very simple. We take our country back by writing the laws that we consent to be governed by. And we submit those laws, you know, to the Congress, to the state legislatures, to the school boards, to the county commissions and the city councils. Pretty simple stuff, right? And it does not you don't have to have meetings. You don't have to have, uh, you know, you don't have to have conventions. You don't have to go anywhere. It doesn't cost you any money. You all got computers and, and internet anyway. All you have to do is just go to writeyourlaws.com, take the bills that you like, and, uh, and send them in to your representatives and send them to all your friends and get them to do it and send them to media and, and pollsters. I want to get a poll. I'd love to get a poll on how many people would favor vaccine product liability. So if we can start to use pollsters and, and get, the, get the information out there, well, 98% of people favor uh, vaccine product liability. What's Congress going to do? See, this is where it gets interesting, right? So in other words, from the people to the media to the pollsters to the government, that's how I see our laws working. Uh, people say, we haven't got anything passed yet. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to government first. I'm trying to go to the people first. Well, the people, gotta, you know, you got to get your act together. you got to start doing stuff. Once people start doing stuff, things will happen. Not until then. They're wait, you know, it's like they're waiting for, uh, you know, for the car to uh, you know, take them down the freeway, but they haven't started the engine yet. That's <laughs> kind of where we are right now. So First Freedom Network, freedomfirstnetwork.com. In fact, if you want my show there, please write them too. That would be nice. So I found this article, The Top 10 Reasons Trump Should Be Speaker of the House. And it's actually a few months old. Uh, it's July second, 2022, so that would have been two days before our Independence Day, by D. Parker, and that's the letter D, Parker, P-A-R-K-E-R. And D. Parker says many prominent personalities have been urging the president. It's, so it's, it's interesting that it says in 2022 it calls him the president, right? So we know who we're talking about. So he already agrees that Trump and you know is. Oh, I put something on Facebook too. I said next time someone says Biden administration or, or President Biden, say to them, well, you know that's uh, that's just your opinion. You, you can't prove it. <laughs> yeah, just for the fun of it. I mean, that, that's. One of those little, you, you got to amuse yourself with all this stuff, otherwise you'd go crazy, right? Anyway, so so D. Parker says, many prominent personalities have been urging the president to do this, so here are the top reasons why he should step up to the challenge. You could argue that our betters, in quotation marks, in the anti-liberty left, I, wish I would' like that characterization, I'm probably going to use it, the anti-liberty left, or as I just call it, the Marxists, are trying to destroy the country, or perhaps they are completely incompetent. Now, see, I never go with the stupidity theory, you know, you're either lying or stupid. Nah, it's you, you're lying. <laughs> OK, that, you're, you're deceitful. You know, you're you're projecting. You're not you're not idiots. Anyway, uh, he says, even the total could be a she. Who's D. Parker? Did, did I get a picture? I assume yeah, cause I keep saying he generically. D. Parker. We'll, we'll find out who D. Parker is. D. Parker says you could argue that our betters in the anti-liberty left are trying to destroy the country or perhaps they are completely incompetent. Even the totally incompetent would have occasional success, so we're thinking it's the former. Either way, we need to change back to leadership that works, and we need it as soon as possible. That would be Trump, and that would be a non-Deep State Congress. B. Parker says, having the House of Representatives elect President Trump as Speaker would go a long way towards his goal. So this is our reverse order listing the top reasons President Trump needs to step up to the challenge. Four words. This is number one. Four words. State of the Union. Picture this. While Biden and Harris are still in office, I would say illegally, and delivering their interminable State of the Union address, Donald J. Trump can be sitting behind them as the last visual word on their BS. Oh, yeah, I can you see Trump rolling his eyes every time, you know, Brandon lies. <laughs> that would be worth it right there, right? Even money that would, uh, it's even money. They would cancel these political snooze fests for the duration. Yeah, I'm sure they would. No, no, you could, they would not have a State of the Union address if Trump was sitting behind Brandon. That would be hysterical. Two. The entertainment value of driving the nation's socialist media insane. I agree with this one, too. We can already hear your response that they lost the plot years ago. And you would be correct. Let's face it. Robert Ballard is going to need to develop a new submersible to get to the depths of insanity they've reached in recent years. Okay, I'm not familiar with who Robert Ballard is. So this sentence doesn't mean anything to me. So anybody wants to help me out, feel free. This does make sense. Their echo chambers have their own echo chambers. Watching them lose it every night, that would be the socialist news, whining about the death of democracy because they aren't in control will be well worth the price of admission. Yeah, so whenever the Democrat says the death of democracy, they really mean the the, the reduction in their power because they're they're not a democracy, uh, anything but. And we aren't a democracy either. We're a republic. Uh, And people seem to forget that all the time, even Republicans who should know better. You would think with the, with the title of the, a party, the Republican Party, they would actually acknowledge that we are a republic, but they don't seem to do that, which is kind of funny, actually. Number three, and here's our top ten. Number, I feel like a drum roll. Number three, it will save billions from not having to bail out the national. didn't oh, so. I just read this? Oh, it will say. Oh no, I didn't. I'm sorry. Number three. Start again. Retape. Take two. It will save billions from not having to bail out the nation's socialist media. Well, that's interesting. This goes right along with the previous point. Okay, that's why I was confused. We all know that the Democrats' propaganda organ is going to need a bailout. We can remember those bygone days when they at least tried to pretend to be objective. No, they didn't. The nation's socialist media are so blatant these days that you can imagine a latter-day Joseph Goebbels operating behind the scenes. Well, I said actually Joseph Goebbels is operating in front of the scenes. In fact, I've called uh, Dr. Fascist. The Reincarnation of Joseph Goebbels and Joseph Mengele. Interesting, they both have the same name, Joseph. What's a Fauci's first name? Anthony. There we go. Yes, Dr. Fascist, the genocidal, psychopathic, avaricious, narcissistic, pathologically lying vaccine drug pusher. That's his title. And I'm standing by it. Back to the article. The people have, been, have, been taking, have taken notice, and their ratings are lower than a putrid stain under a dustbin. Not sure what that means, but it sounds disgusting. So it won't be long until they look to their partners in crime for a bailout. From the government, but having Trump to whine about twenty four seven could keep them afloat. Yeah, what the, what the author's getting to is the fact that uh, CNN was huge when Trump was president because CNN's ratings were based on uh, you know trying to dump Trump. I mean that's all that's all they're based on because without Trump, there is no CNN right now because they don't report news. They're basically uh, Maury Povich, you know, with uh, with the newsletters with newsletters in front of them. CNN could be you know CNN Maury Povich gossip show. it's basically the same thing. Um, So that's that's interesting. Then it says number four. Let's go to number four here. Well, actually, NPR combined, you know, National Socialist Radio, NPR without funding would have to air commercials like everybody else does. See, one of the main reasons people listen to NPR and why they should be uh, completely defunded is that they don't have as many commercials. Well, they shouldn't have any commercials because they're taxpayer funded, but they do have commercials, you know, although they'll have something very lofty this uh, global warming special brought to you by a grant from Exxon. You know. Really? <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, but that's, that's kind of how this goes. And, and so if you really want to have them compete properly and fairly, then you take away all their funding, and they can still be, they can call themselves national public radio, but they'd actually be commercial, and they'd have to uh, generate their own, their own profit and their own operating expense, and that would be a good thing. And then the government wouldn't have a propaganda arm. So that's another good reason. Let's see what Trump does there and we'll see. Let's see if the the, uh, the uh, gelding house will actually do something like defund um, you know, them, Planned Parenthood, and a bunch of other places. Reason number four, it throws a spanner. It's interesting. it's what we call a monkey wrench in America. It's probably a British author. It throws a spanner into the plans of the anti-liberty left. It's a lot more fun to take the initiative than remain passive. Yeah, no kidding. Anyway, it says we can only guess what the liberal liberticidal, well, this is a new word for me, liberticidal leftists have in store for us. President Trump, as the new Speaker of the House, will throw those carefully laid plans into chaos. And when we're talking about liberty destroying leftists, that's always a good thing. Yeah, they wouldn't tell what's going on anyway. You know, the, the Democrats would just shelve all their real plans uh, until they got to what they considered a decent person again, like Kevin McDeep State, you know, Kevin McCarthy. Number five, almost, we're halfway through, <laughs> coming up to Jonathan. Number five, it will energize the pro-freedom electorate. Yeah, that's true. It says the pro-freedom right needs every advantage it can muster against the anti-liberty left. The key is selecting those tactics that would have a selective effect of energizing the freedom community while driving the other side to distraction. Can anyone think of a better way to do that than the prospect of President Donald J. Trump as Speaker of the House? Yes, I can, actually. Uh, My choice for Speaker of the House is Devin Nunez. I'm going to talk to Jonathan about this too. Devin Nunez is not currently in Congress, but you don't have to be in Congress to be the Speaker of the House. Devin Nunez, every bit where the bodies are buried. Uh, Devin Nunez, with uh, Cash Patel and some other folks, did some incredible work on the Intelligence Committee to get uh, the, the, the Steele dossier, the Carter Page you know, memos, the, the fact that Hillary was running an entirely corrupt operation, uh, trying to discredit Trump, and also that uh, you know, she sold 20% of our uranium uh, to Russia, talk about a talk about a, a Russian operative. No, there's no bigger Russian operative than Hillary Clinton, you know. And so, uh, so Devin Nunez would be the perfect speaker of the House, and somebody else can run True Social. I'm sorry, Devin Nunez, I think is very special, very good at what he does, and he's being wasted at True Social. You know, you want to do what you do best. You don't want to do what somebody else can do. You know, Devin Nunez, I think would be a speaker like no other speaker. I think he would set up a, a second church style hearing if you remember the, In fact, go back and look at the videos. Go back to YouTube. And I've seen them. The videos of the Frank church hearings. If I'm going to post them, I'm going to post. I'll get some videos for you. Post church hearings. Probably did it on my Action Radio legal page. Anyway, they had some brilliant hearings from the CIA. Uh, in fact, the FBI, which has pretty much become the CIA domestically, uh, needs to be abolished. <laughs> it needs to be gotten rid of. So, you know, do you fix it or do you get rid of them? I would get rid of them. There's no provision for a national police force in the Constitution. Therefore, the FBI has never been a legal agency. You know, so that's uh, and look what they become. They're basically an internal security, the the Ministry of Internal Security, you know, doing uh, the FBI KGB is what they become Uh, if they weren't already there a long time ago. Anyway, so so back to number five, it will energize the pro-freedom electorate. And they say, yeah, that'd be a good thing. Uh, again, Devin Nunez, not Donald Trump. That's my, that's my one. Number six, reason number six in our top 10 here, I, I sound like one of those uh, like those rock shows. And now the number 10 hits today, like a, like a, like a Ronco or a KTEL announcer. And now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, reason number six, he can preside over President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, Kamala's impeachments. Okay, so president is in quotation marks here. President, quotation marks Biden, and vice president, in quotation marks, marks Kamala's Impeachments. So Biden gets the last name, Kamala gets the first name. That's interesting. Don't ask me why. It says, uh, wouldn't this wouldn't this make it all worthwhile? Anti-liberty leftists love to play the impeachment game. Well, then let's bring it on. Reading all the charges alone will take a few weeks. <laughs> Biden and Kamala have truly committed high crimes, not just misdemeanors. We could start with deliberately opening the border to an illegal invasion. And then uh, D. Parker quotes U.S. Constitution, Article Four, Section Four. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion. So what do they focus on? The second part. Then it says, then go on from there, including Kamala, since she's supposed to be in charge of this disaster and she can't even be troubled to visit the area or directly address the problem. I'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, they forget the first part of it, which is the more important part of Article 4, Section 4. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government. Well, that means not a democracy. So the the federal government is charged with making sure that we are not a democracy, that we are a republic with a constitution, with limited delegated powers of government, with defined individual rights, with limited budgets, with limited power, with a division between the federal government and the state governments. And that's what's called federalism. I call that a national government is where it's top down. That's what they that's what it's become. Let's start with Hamilton. A federal government says that the federal government does this and the states do that and neither the twain shall meet. That would be the most important thing to do would be to restore the republic. That's what I want to do. <laughs> anyway, the idea of Kamala Harris or, or Joe Biden visiting the border uh, that's stupid. What do, you, what do you you know that's like um you know, getting a bank robber to back to the bank where they stole money from and said, see, look what you did. Bank robber's like, yeah, you should see my mansion. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the case here. So getting Harris and, and, and Brandon back to the border that they purposely opened for the purpose of bringing in multi-million Democrat voters is stupid. All they're going to do is mire their handiwork, admire their handiwork. They're going to go, yep, everything's working fine. Hey, bring in more. Can you bring them in faster? I actually made a Facebook post on that. So the only thing that'll happen if Brandon or, or Harris go to the border is that they will ask the Border Patrol to bring in more people faster. So why do you want them at the border? That's not going to accomplish anything. They have no shame. They, what they're doing is what they intend to do. This isn't an accident. This isn't a humanitarian crisis. This is a plan. Haven't you noticed every time uh, Mayorkas, the, 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 uh, the Secretary of uh, what, uh, Homeland Security, every time he gets up and talks about processing, we have to process people at the border more efficiently. That means you have to bring in more people. Okay? They're not trying to get rid of anybody. They're trying to bring people in as quickly as possible. They have to be processed more efficiently. We need a comprehensive immigration system. That means letting people in who aren't immigrants. Okay? So once you understand the buzzwords, you know what's really going on. It's a totally different situation. Anyway, Jonathan's coming up. Let me see if I can finish 7, 8, 9, and 10 quickly here. Reason number seven, why Trump should be Speaker of the House, we can have a real investigation of January 6th. We should do that anyway. D. Parker says, do you ever get the impression that this is the liberty-cidal left's version of the movie Groundhog Day? Expect leftists never to want it to end, and they're going to keep it up until they get socialism to actually work or the end of time, whichever comes first. Well, there's an odd axiom in guerrilla warfare that the only defense from an ambush is to immediately attack it. Thus, we should take the bull in more ways than one by the horns and investigate this sordid tale. We know that there won't be any revelations or anything new from the pro-freedom side. So now is the time to look into what the anti-Liberty left was doing that day, not to mention releasing all the video footage they supposedly suspiciously kept holding back. Yeah, I would have an entire, I would have uh, the other side of the investigation. In fact, I would make the Democrats shut up. I would have the most, I would take the House Freedom Caucus and I would empower them to be the panel, okay, which would be the opposite of the, the Democrat uh, thing they had before So you put Devin Nunez heading up the committee, uh, hopefully, you know, make him speaker uh, and then have the House Freedom Caucus Pursue this properly, and that's how you do it. That included my congressman, a uh, person, Matt Gates, who is dead set against uh, Kevin State. and that's another story. Reason number eight, it will be worth it to change history. Well, let's face it. We are in a cage match for liberty. We have nowhere else to go. That's not true. <laughs> You've got action radio. Why do you think I created it? I'll have to talk to the author. Ronald Reagan said it best, back to the article, if we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. He says we need everyone to do his part, and if that means President Trump has to take a slight demotion for something that will only add to his ever-growing resume, then that's a small price to pay for saving humanity and saving the planet. Well, it's not an either-or choice. Okay? I don't believe that. Now, this is the interesting one here. Yeah, I think Trump should should run for president. Devin Nunes should be speaker. The House Freedom Caucus should run the January 6th committee. And uh, General Michael Flynn should be the next attorney general. (laughs) And and, um, McGregor. McGregor should be the next secretary of defense. I'll pick a few more people as we go through. Um, The head of the EPA should be Gregory Wrightstone at the CO2 coalition. (laughs) I got some fun people that could do some great jobs. Number nine, Michelle Obama is running for president in 2024. He says, please, or she, D Parker says, please allow a slight digression to explain. Anyone paying attention should realize that Biden's first term is really Obama's third. Yeah, we've been saying that for years. He's just completing his heart's desire from behind the scenes. That would be Obama. The problem for them is that with Brandon's rapid decline, it's doubtful he's going to make it to the end of his term, much less run again. I see. I don't think he's as bad off as people think he is. Uh, maybe the drugs are better than I think they are, but I think uh, I think a lot of what he does uh, is is stealthy. I think he's fooling people. I think he's purposely trying to look incompetent, but he's smarter than that. He's still got enough faculty left to be dangerous, but not enough to. Um, uh, uh, and, and but he's lost enough to make it plausible that he's lost even more. He's really a dangerous person. All right. Anyway, so the article says Michelle Obama is the ultimate stealth candidate who would admittedly, who would admittedly be formidable to President Trump. I don't think so. But the left, you know, the, how can, you can't say anything against a black woman. You're a racist. Oh, really? Well, then you could say, well, she can't say anything against Donald Trump. That would make her a racist. Interesting thought. Interesting strategy, too. Geldings won't do it because they're cowards. I would. Anyway, uh, Trump is really good about one thing, too. I just want to say this, too, before Jonathan gets here. Trump is really good. Uh, when it comes to women in politics, he does not discriminate. In fact, he should be congratulated. I made this point a couple of years ago. Trump should be congratulated for treating women as equals in politics. He goes after them equally well. He isn't the genteel gentleman saying, well, we have to treat these women as ladies because these women are not acting as genteel people. They're, they're, you know, the claws are out, the fangs are out and they're every bit as vicious as any guy. In fact, more so in many cases, look at the squad, look at uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, you know, is a vicious politician who goes full force. Well, Trump, to his credit, goes full force against them, saying to Hillary, you should be in, he said, if were president, you'd be in jail. Well, he was president, she wasn't in jail, okay, next time. But the point is that Trump has no fear of going against women because Trump treats women really well in his, in his company. He sees women as equals. And if you think of women as equals, if you really think of women as equals and you're a guy then you can go after them every bit as much as you can anybody else for any reason. You know, it doesn't matter, male or female. If they're your opposition, they're your opposition. Treat them equally, go after them equally. And that actually is uh, is the mark of uh, someone that believes in equality. You can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have a vicious woman politician and then say you can't go after her because she's a woman. See, Trump doesn't fall for that. The rest of the Republican geldings do, but that's a different story. Then a little bit here, it says there is also the threat of Alexandria Orcasio cortez I just like saying that, uh, running among others. The point is that it would be far better to have Trump in power as Speaker of the House and have a better contender positioned against them. No. no. See, this is the point I was getting to earlier. They want Trump to be Speaker so that he doesn't run for President. Okay. He says here, the point is that it would be far better to have Trump in power as Speaker of the House and to have a better contender position against them. So who's the better contender? This is where the article's wrong. There is no better contender in the country today than Donald Trump to go after the left. Nobody comes close, not even a little bit. All right, I'm going to read the rest of this, check in with Jonathan, probably play a couple things, see what's going on. Uh, Hopefully he'll call in any second now. In fact, I can check. see if I have any urgent messages on my phone. Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan. Where is Jonathan? That's okay. He'll probably show up here in just a second. I'll find out in a bit. All right. Let me get this last little bit. Number 10, in our 10 reasons why Trump should be Speaker of the House, he can do something now to save the country. <laughs> He's going to do that anyway. It says, but this is what the article says. Look at where we are. Inflation is at a 40-year high, with the price of gas and diesel almost off the scale. The situation with food is so bad that even Biden has to admit the truth. He opened the border uh, to an illegal invasion and exacerbated the opioid, opioid crisis. He made a mockery of the rule of law. Our enemies have been emboldened around the world and are gearing up for nuclear war. Yeah, this is when Ukraine was really getting going. This, remember, this is written back in July. Okay? We could easily add to the list by waiting five minutes for the next crisis to crop up. Even his supporters can't think of anything positive that he's done, and that's Brandon, uh, and that's just after one year. Does anyone think we'll get through two years, six months, and 18 days, but who's counting, of this? Let D. Parker is an engineer, inventor, wordsmith, and student of history, and a director of the communications for a Bill of Rights organization and longtime contributor to conservative websites. Find him on Substack. I'm going to be on Substack too. <laughs> in fact, I've got an account. I just have to start writing articles. Mine will be very different than everybody else's, whereas everybody else complains, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to have solutions. Big time. All right, let me play a couple of quick things here, see what else I haven't done, and then uh, check in on Jonathan and see what's going on. Uh, and I'll be right back And uh, see, here we go. Right back in just a little bit. But again sponsors. Oops, wrong one, but I'll play it anyway. This is Greg Fenglis, creator of Action Radio for my town, Milton, Florida. Milton, it's where I live. It's where you can live too. It's where you can bring a new business, especially a business that helps our downtown historic district. We have everything in Milton. We have the Blackwater River. We have the Imogene Theater, built in 1912 and still booking national acts. We have Scoop's Ice Cream. We have Boomerang's Restaurant, where I get my favorite Thai chicken pizza. We have an outdoor stage for music acts and free concerts by the river. The Blackwater Bistro will keep you in steak and seafood indefinitely. We have brew pubs, creating great craft beers and giving us all a place to relax and talk. But it's more than just stuff and food and buildings, it's people. Remember the show Cheers where everybody knows your name? It's that kind of place. So if you're tired of the cities, of the traffic, the frenetic pace of life that doesn't seem to get you anywhere, if you want a small city that has incredible potential, that combines the best of historic buildings and modern, fun, small retail shops and restaurants, and a great waterfront, plus who knows what for the future, take a look at historic Milton, Florida, in the Panhandle, near Pensacola, and the world's greatest beaches on the Emerald Coast of the Gulf of Mexico. Milton is going through a renaissance. Maybe you can be part of making it happen. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, making that. That was a promotional thing I did for Milton, Chamber of Commerce, City of Milton. And hopefully they'll air it a lot more places, <laughs> but they didn't. Let me play the one I was going to play in a minute. I left a little music at the end of it just uh, just for this reason. But uh, the thing I want to do is see if we can get some uh, sponsors to the show. And this is the one I meant to play. From Addiction to Achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with MyPillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of MyPillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. MyPillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio, live. Action Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. All right, so he's here, which is good. I mean, I have a bunch of articles ready just in case. But uh, you know, I've heard enough of me. I talked the first hour. I want not hear from Johnson this hour. Good morning, sir. Happy New Year. How are you doing? Ready for uh, an exciting year of uh, of uh, cataclysmic events and um, fun things that we do here and and, uh, and the action radio revolution resolution.
2: No, oh, yeah, um, uh, one could be cynical because you talk about cataclysmic events. Uh, you know, we really uh, um, re- really like to tell uh, 2022 to kiss my
1: rear. Uh, but <laughs> I actually had a good year, though. It was fun for me. I mean, things went wrong, and there were problems <laughs> and challenges. But as far as Action Radio goes, we, we, we made some momentous uh, occurrences. We had Peter Navarro. We had David Stockman. We had Lloyd Brunson for two hours. He's got the case coming up Friday. We've made huge gains. We've got friends in powerful places that I won't talk about on the air. You know, we've got, uh, we, we got things are happening. And when I say cat- cataclysmic was probably the wrong choice of words, but I think momentous is probably better. We have, a, there may be cataclysmic things from the deep state, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, Action Radio, we, we have momentous things coming here. And I just hope that a lot more folks will join us because we are the only people to do what we do. So this is the peaceful revolution, folks. This is the change that you're looking huh. for. Yeah. Back to you, Jonathan.
2: Yeah. Well, <coughs> um, so, uh, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to get uh, better or worse. What, what's coming up on Friday, you said, the, the Bronson? Well,
1: Loy Brunson, uh, and the whole Brunson family, who we had a fabulous interview with, if you get a chance to, to hear it, especially um, at, at 45 minutes in, where we started talking about our bills. And Loy loved what we do. He loved the idea of the constitutional mm-hmm. amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. He loved our other two big bills, vaccine product liability and ending big tech censorship. And he said, right on the air. He wants to make action radio a household word. So we're going to be working with Lloyd Bronson. Uh, It's just a matter of time. We already have stuff going on behind the scenes. um, But we're going to kick up a lot more after this January 6th uh, hearing. So they're going to – now, I don't think the case is going to go, but I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping. But what they're trying to do is uh, bring a case against the 385 members of Congress, uh, Mike Pence, uh, Brandon, and Kamala, for not following their oath of office to investigate the fraud in the 2020 election. But since there's no constitutional compliance clause nor penalty for not complying with the Constitution, I don't know how the Supreme Court, given the nature of the Supreme Court, is going to do anything with this. So the, the what's gonna happen on the 6th, which is interesting, is whether they vote to to hear the case. And uh, Lloyd Brunson and the other Brunsons, there's, there's, there's two cases in the works. They want an emergency declaration so it, uh, it can be heard right away. And, again, this is more your department than mine, but uh, that's where it stands. And the, their website, 7 com, I think it is. Uh, I think I sent that to you. If not, I will. Um, that's that's where all their stuff is, and you can find out uh, find out what's going on. But uh, that's where they stand. I don't know if you heard about that case or had a chance to listen to uh, any of that uh, interview. I, it was fabulous. We had a great time.
2: Well, it's – I mean, it, the, the thing about our Constitution – um, you know, we lo- it, it is it is um, the best organization of government that has ever existed. But um, you know, we confuse that sometimes with assuming that it's perfect. You know, the fact that it's better than anything else and it's mostly preserved our our country through most of its history.
0: You mm-hmm. know, does
2: not mean we. Should worship it as being a thousand percent flawless, right. um, and there are some holes in it in terms of like like you say, what do you do when someone flagrantly um, you know violates their oath of office is there a is there a mechanism for that? Um, I think a lot of people um, I think a lot of people take um, uh, you know, take take uh, the assumption that, that 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 the other govern the other branches of government uh, will respond. They'll withhold money. They'll pass things. But in our history, we found that they really don't. Um, it does seem that our that our founding fathers. Well, we don't see. I, I can't say they didn't because they were pretty smart and they made a few comments, but. They didn't seem to have a very strong idea of the, of the creation of parties like we see them. Um, they talked about factions, but um, but they didn't seem to envision these these huge blocks that we have, which really prevent the system for from correcting itself. Um, so. Um, so anyway um you know so so the thing is is that i I don't know that there is a mechanism in our in our constitution to fix um these these problems um there certainly should be uh but there are some sort of gaping holes in in our constitutional system like that, you know because our i think you have to remember I think that our our founders they were struggling to put together. Uh, a, a majority to um, to get rid of remember we had the revolution, and then the states had something called the Articles of Confederation. The Constitution was not the first government, and the Articles of Confederation sort of suggested that you know that this was not a country, it was thirteen independent countries. Who had been the colonies, and they were like the European Union; they were working together. And that's the the consensus was is that was a disaster. Um, I don't know, you know, disasters are relative, uh, but they decided to replace it with the Constitution. And I think it's clear that. Get you know getting a committee to agree to get, you know, trying to get one more vote on a committee trying to get a complete you know agreement is is tricky so I think that you know when we say the Constitution has some holes in it I think you have to consider that they they were struggling to put together a majority um, to get you know votes to pa- to pass the Constitution to ratify it and send it to the states and um, in the end, they, they got it unanimous. So there's a lot of compromises, as we know, and a lot of missing pieces. So, you know, to, to my, I mean, the way, the way it's always been seen, there are certain things that the courts believe are left to the political branches. Like, you know, like for example, this guy, what's his name, George Santos? In New York, who apparently lied about almost everything in his resume, you, you, people have heard about that. Yeah, I've heard about him. Yeah, what an idiot! That's yeah, well, time. it is. I mean, but yeah. but the thing is, is that you know, if we start, I mean, so what's the remedy? You know, so he lied to the voters. Well, surprise, surprise, surprise. There's, you know, like to quote Casablanca, there's lying going on in campaign.
3: Gambling, my God! Yeah, there's you gambling
1: know. in the in, in your in your place, Rick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah quadra uh, brains. I remember the scene well. So c- can you name a
2: candidate who hasn't lied to to the voters? Well, lying's um, not a crime. you
1: know L- uh, lying in politics is not a crime. It's, it's free speech. It's up to the other candidates to point out the lies. And that whether it's a resume right. or whether it's a policy or it's anything else, I don't care if, if, if candidates lie because the, there's nothing in the Constitution, nothing in the, in the eligibility requirements that require a person to tell the truth when they're running for office. And I know that sounds cynical, but it's true. What is required is an age, citizenship, and, and a couple of other things, maybe. I don't know. What are, what are the requirements to run for Congress? There's not that much.
2: I mean, pretty much, just they have to—they have to be 35 years old. It's about it.
1: That's president. Um, President's 35. I think Congress <laughs> is 21. I could be me, wrong. 25. 25. Okay.
2: Um, uh, the uh, but but yeah, that I mean, and you know, there was um, oh god, don't get me started on don't, on on West Wing, but I I was mm-hmm. there wasn't much to watch, so I watched West Wing, and there's one point where they were talking to Belarus in the 90s about
1: uh, writing a constitution. And it we reminded me that, you know... Yeah. What? Can we you We talked to Belarus. No, I do. I just saying say, we talked to Belarus. Belarus is now on oh. our list of, of countries that listen to us. So you're talking to Belarus well, right now.
2: You, well, I'm sure you inform them much better than any actual politicians in Washington or certainly the West Wing. But they yeah. were talking about they spent like I don't know like a third of the of the of the hour
0: mm-hmm. with
2: these conversations about you know what kind of constitution Belarus should have whether they should copy ours and it was mm-hmm. just kind of a reminder that, you know we could have this you know I've heard people say that there are many many countries that have copied the u s constitution and it doesn't work because they don't have the <laughs> culture they don't have yeah. No, I'm serious. They don't, no, they I don't believe have you. I'm the, just laughing. Yeah, they don't have the cultural um, agreements and, and and viewpoints. So you mm-hmm. could look at our constitution, and and it could have developed to say that you can't lie to the voters. I mean, could could that be part of our of our legal political system? It could be. That's not how we have evolved. Uh, written constitution into um, into everyday life, you know. So, so you know, and of course, it, it, they'd have to first they'd have to arrest Elizabeth Warren. Um, Joe Biden is the biggest. I mean, George Santos has nothing on Joe Biden or you know, Obama George, for
1: that matter with his fraudulent birth certificate you know that's the ultimate lie he wasn't even eligible to be president and i'm just making that up i, I had joe arpaio on good authority on my show say that uh, obama's birth certificate is a fraud yeah so you want to talk about lying that's the yeah. ultimate lie
2: we we, we don't know we don't know that there is not a valid birth certificate but we know yeah. the one he released is definitely a fraud so exactly. the question the question then becomes, why would you release a fraudulent birth certificate if you have a real one? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, so good question. And, and, and everybody, you know, everybody releases this birth certificate that's printed on a laser printer when he was supposed to be born in I think 1962 or something. When laser printer, I mean, laser printers might have been a gleam in some <laughs> laboratories. eye. <laughs> but there's no, yeah. there's no way to hell that a, a, a badly funded vital statistics office in Hawaii, a new state, would have a laser printer in 19, you know any earlier than the 1990s, probably. because I remember yeah. when I worked at the U.S. Department of Education, we bought a laser printer, not a big one, and it was the cost of a small economy car, you know, when they first came out. So, so they release something printed, obviously printed on a laser printer, and mm-hmm. they say, "Here's my birth ticket from 1962." Like, okay,
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, think so. Yeah,
2: right. So, you know, so I, you know, do, do I? Well, I, I, his mother, his grandmother knows where he was born and says she watched him being born in in uh, Mombasa. But, but I don't know where he was born. I just know that there's plenty of, you know. Uh, it's, it's just outrageous to just, you know, say, okay, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, you can just lie and everything. So, so anyway, we've got this thing. So, so the question is, is your, your question about this lawsuit is can, can a candidate for federal office, I mean, I, I guess it doesn't have to be just federal, but in in this case, um, can they take the oath of office mm-hmm. and lie and then break their oath of office? Well, you know, like I say, could we have developed a body of law under a constitution to say that somebody has to, I mean, could Congress pass a law saying there will automatically be a special counsel and the, the executive branch has nothing to say about it? They could. You know, could we have a situation where every time somebody breaks their oath of office, somebody looks into it? Yeah, we could do that. And, and maybe that would be a good law. Uh, but traditionally our courts have just, well, I mean, they've gone, they've swung from one extreme, this poking their nose, you know, giving an anal exam to, you know, in certain situations, (laughs) to swinging the other extreme and saying, oh, we don't want to get involved in that at all. So, um, you know, so I just think the attitude of the courts, although I cannot explain them, Um, are, you know, are inconsistent and and I I don't put out much hope. You know, I'm not saying it's a bad, I'm not saying it's okay for people to run around violating their oaths of office. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that I don't have much hope in our courts.
1: Well, I don't think they can hold it because there's nothing in the Constitution that requires that you you follow it, you know, uh, with a penalty. I mean, we assume that people are going to follow it, you know, and I think this goes back to I got a bunch of notes here from from things you've been talking about. Um, but back in back in the old days, when the Constitution was written, there were no background checks. There were no polygraphs. There were no, um, you know, vault secret you know, stuff. There was no uh, private investigators. I mean, your word was your bond. You know, so when you gave your word, that meant everything. And if your word was ever broken, if your trust is ever broken, you never get it back. See today people can lie and cheat and do all kinds of things, you know, and and say oh, I've got great credit. Well now you can check somebody's credit before they buy a car. In the old days you couldn't. You just had to go on in faith, you know, or, or some kind of evidence. Was, yeah.
2: When you when you swear an oath of office,
1: huh? You're
2: you're you're swearing to God that you're going to go to hell if you break your oath of office.
1: That should be no the, oath, the way they they stop. You know, and I think so. Help uh, God is in the oath, isn't it, or is it in the presidential oath? I think it might be.
2: Uh, I don't, I mean, it's certainly in the oath that we practice. I don't, I don't recall whether it's in the, in the text, um, but, mm. <clears throat> um, and, and of course the, the local communities, even though they didn't have technology and they were spread out and stuff like that, they were also simpler. They knew the mm-hmm. guy, yeah. you know, it's, it's it, here. You know, so, so when someone swore their oath, you're like, yeah, I know him, um, and and I'm never gonna let him you know you know, I'm never gonna trust you do business with him again if he if he if he does this. Mm-hmm. So um so yeah, I, I but I just you know, like I say, I don't have a lot of faith in our
1: in our constitution. So um, well, I have faith in the Constitution. Else, I just don't I, have faith in the Supreme Court. I mean, those, those are two totally different things. Ever since they they, they deviated with uh, Marbury versus Madison and assumed powers that weren't in the court at all, that weren't in the Constitution. I mean, the one place that's supposed to be the guardian of the Constitution is the first place that violated the Constitution on a on a an entire government uh, department wide scale, an entire branch of government yeah, violated the Constitution in 1803. Go ahead yeah i meant
2: to say the con i meant to say the court i'm sorry but the, that's okay. the thing the thing is is that um uh so the uh uh oh gosh no i forgot what i was just gonna say so oh, i'm sorry so the um um so so anyway um
1: penalties oh, constitution shoot. oath of office court case
2: well no the, the but the thing you know oh i was you saying the the one branch that is supposed to um, that is supposed to uh, safeguard our, our our country is, um, you know, all the all the the Supreme Court has done most of its recent history. Well, I mean, probably probably up to the turn of the 19th century, the early 1900s, they actually seemed some of the time to be actually doing their job. Well, but. but you know, most of the 20th century, the 1900s until now, they've just been mm-hmm. safeguarding their, um, you know, their own popularity with Congress and the news media. That's what they're safeguarding. Um, so, um, <clears throat> um, so anyway, they.
1: Uh, um, Let's see. I got some questions if uh, on some of the other things you mentioned this morning, which are which I think are interesting.
2: Or, or anything else in the news, because there's there, there's there's a lot of sh- little things that are in the you know legal political things that are in the news. So um, yeah, if you if you want to well, um, call requests, oh,
1: well, I've got a bunch of things here, uh, and I got Pianka I'll get to him in a little bit. Um, but the four people that were murdered in, in Idaho—they finally got a suspect. My contention was that. The suspect, you know, uh, you know, they're probably protecting whoever it is if they're uh, you know, uh, what are they called, a marginalized minority or an illegal alien or something like that. And it looks like they arrested a white guy, but I'm just curious, why? Do you have anything on on the defense there, and what's what's happening with that that case?
2: No, uh, just the fact that I find it very odd that it took them this long, and there doesn't seem to be any particular. Um, you know, they they keep saying that you know, uh, okay, these people were on a college. I mean, this is the way I view it. And you know, no, I'm not looking at the details. I'm not sitting in the in the police office, and they don't tell mm-hmm. us everything. And blah, blah, blah. but but to me, you know, it sounds like, oh, this guy went to college. I mean, th- these people were in college, and this guy went to college. Like, okay, and and not the same college. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on here? Um, they're saying like. He got a criminal justice degree. Well, yeah. So what? I mean, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you're a criminal, because you you got a you know because you got a um, you know a college uh, a criminal ju- you studied criminal justice, um you know that I just I'm just not I'm just I mean there's, there's hopefully there are things they're not telling us, but I'm not it's not making any sense to me.
1: Well, it took too long for me, too. I mean, you know, that kind of brutal murder, no witnesses, nobody. There's two people in the house that, uh, you know, I'm just wondering how the defense is going to go. It just seems a very strange case to me. It it looked like a corrupt police department. It looked like they were protecting, you know, whoever did it. And all I could think of um, was it was one of the protected classes. There was some kind of liberal Soros, you know, DA or somebody involved in this thing. And that's that's why it took so long. Think about a couple more things. And then, uh, like I say, Pianke has a question. Um. Title 18, Section 241, which I think is the most powerful safeguard of the Constitution, and it's statutory law. So although there's no constitutional penalty, in other words, you know, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. If it is infringed, that's, you know, five years in jail and a $100,000 fine. I mean, that's not what the Constitution says, and I don't think it should because you can put penalties in statutory law. The problem is the statutory law, the most important one. Title 18, sections 241 and 242 are not enforced and nobody considers them. And I asked Lloyd Brunson about this. He said, oh well, yeah, I think we, we're, we're going to have this involved somehow. But this is the key. This is the most powerful provision. And it was actually done for Matthew Shepard, you know, who was the allegedly gay person, who was also allegedly a drug dealer, uh, who was killed uh, up in, I think, Idaho somewhere. So we're going to come back to Idaho again. But it doesn't matter what, what caused the law to be written. What, it matter, what matters is what it says. And what it says is that, you know, a conspiracy of two or more people to oppress the exercise or enjoyment of any constitutional right, you know, constitutes a felony punishable by X years in jail and X, you know, dollars of fine. There's no provision that says government is immune from that. So why wouldn't that provision be used against members of Congress who refuse to uh, uphold their oath of office um, that'd be the first thing. You know, if, if what they know is criminal, then that statute should be there. The other thing is uh, good behavior. You know, you should, they should be impeached for bad behavior for, for violating their oath of office. So there actually are two provisions that could be used to regulate, you know, the behavior of these people when they stray from the Constitution, and neither one of them are, are ever used. That's, that's my big problem with it. So what do you think of 18, uh, Title 18, Section 241? My favorite provision No, the they law. Could, they, they could be um
2: okay. they uh you know for example the i mean remember we had the civil rights we had um the civil rights mm-hmm. I- issues, uh you know the whole upper up and there was the problem that uh, in state and federal law and especially in the in the uh resistant what should we say former slave states i'm a i am i am drawing a blank on how to explain it, but you know the the, the the slave states that were no longer slave states because slavery was abolished, but they were still, they were still of that mindset. Oh,
0: reconstruction. Um, they would
2: not, you know, they would not enforce the law. So the federal law and the state law would say you have, you, you can't, uh, um, well, you can't do certain things at all to anybody, but you can't discriminate based on race, mm-hmm. uh, certainly. And, and they would go, you know, the 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 sheriff wouldn't arrest, the prosecutor wouldn't prosecute, the um, the juries wouldn't convict, the judges wouldn't convict, and so they had to pass these civil rights statutes uh, in Congress. That and and the alleged um, well, um, remember there is no such thing as a KKK act that they're trying to use on about six. Does not exist. There's no such thing as a law that mentions the KKK or talks about the KKK but you know they're eager to use those ver- what happens is you have various versions of the same law and then over time they consolidate them and and, mm-hmm. and and bring them all together so you've got all these patchwork of civil rights laws but today they're all written in one place and you know they're very eager to use that Against like Sheriff Arpaio uh, because you know because of the illegal aliens and their um, very um, you know and, and and other things and against uh, um, January 6, but they're resistant to use it. I mean, could you you know for example right you know right now where the FBI has mm-hmm. really become the KGB and and the uh, the SS. Of, of modern society and and, and and got social media. And remember, when Twitter has dumped all this stuff, that's just one company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I you, know, you really I really would not assume that if we if we poked around the files of all the other social media and mainstream media, you know, we're not gonna find the same thing. Um, so but but in any event you know, using using the power of government to violate people's First Amendment rights. Yeah, they could prosecute. They could. Um, they we could. People could sue. And yes, it's a violation of the Constitution and the Constitutional Civil Rights Act. Um, got you know. In, in her, have made it a a crime in certain situations, and a civil lawsuit in in, in situations. To violate someone's constitutional rights. Now,
1: um, that's most of the laws. That. Yeah, go ahead. What? No, most. You just most, you just most, say most of the laws. Most, huh? Can you hear me? No, no. Yeah, I can. Just continue on. I just, I, I get thoughts that go through things.
2: Most of the laws matter. Yeah. The real teeth require prosecution by the government. An individual can't just get up. Like people say, "Well, I'm going to swear out a." Comp- you know, I'm going to prosecute you or something. Well, you can't. You know, only the government can prosecute. You can go down there and beg them, say, you know, I wish you would prosecute. And they say, no, nah, we're not going to do that. You know, there's not, there, you can, you know, there's only so much you can do. Uh, but but some laws do have the right to, to uh, sue civilly, but it's usually a lot weaker as a provision. So usually the government, if the government... <coughs> were to use these laws, they have a lot of teeth. They just don't want to. Um, so, so yeah. So they they could and should um, violate people. I mean, prosecute people, or I mean, and the government can sue civilly uh, if it's if advantageous uh, to for people for violating constitutional rights. But typically, they don't unless unless you're a conservative and they don't like you. No. Um, so, uh, I don't know well, if that helps. I'm rambling.
1: No, it does. I, let me just ask one more question. I want to see what Pianki's comments are, um, that there is no immunity in government from title 18 section two four one. So when they say anybody that engages in a conspiracy to oppress the exercise or enjoyment of a constitutional right, that applies to everybody. That doesn't, that's just not private citizens. That also implies government. There's no government immunity. Well, if you're committing a conspiracy against constitutional rights. Am I correct on that or, or is there some immunity?
2: No, they have invented for themselves um, some immunity. And, but it's and, not and in really, law. Uh,
1: huh? But it's not in law though. It's not written down. It's not in law. They can't hide behind something that's written. They're just saying, they're just saying this or is it court, you know, they're using court cases yeah. or, or where, is it, where does it come from?
2: It's court precedence, and the idea, I mean, and again, the idea is, uh, I, I mean, I guess the, the way they look at it is that if mm-hmm. somebody were too, uh, you know, if we're too, if we're too tough on the the police or things like that, they won't be able to get their work done.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So That's the excuse for constitutional rights. Yeah, yeah. No, it is, you know, and there's these things called like police academies where you're supposed to like learn what you can and can't do. <laughs> um, but, but, I mean, I think I saw the movies, right? I saw, you know, the police academy movies. Uh, they were but, fabulous. Yeah. But, <laughs> so, um, well, if you like dumb humor, and I do. But the thing is, is that so, um, you know, they just made up these rules that, of qualified immunity. I mean, basically basically the idea is if, is if somebody, you know, if a, if a police or a group of police, you know, just terribly annihilate your, your rights, they go in, it's the wrong house, they kill you, you know, or they break down your door and leave everything a shambles and pull everything mm-hmm. out, and, you know, or, or whatever. And, um, in fact, it's still, it's still not illegal to violate the Fourth Amendment. The the courts have said you just can't uh, use the the evidence in court. (laughs) But it's like if you just want to go and ransack somebody's house and tear everything apart and read all their, you know, read their diary and everything like that, sure, go ahead. You just can't use it in court. Well, that's not adequate. You know, that is like, no, the the guy should be, you know, the police officer should at least be fired. Um, But... um, but they're saying, like, you know, they're saying, like, well, it was a reasonable mistake, you know. So, so you have to prove like a really high level of of maliciousness before the courts will overcome the qualified immunity or blanket immunity. Now, again, that's not in the that you know where is that in the Constitution? But they just made all this stuff up.
1: Yeah, oh, and, the court and opinions are the low. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Jonathan. I'm sorry
2: don't sue a judge, they've got, they decided that they have immunity. Hmm. You know, judges have immunity says who the judges, you know, how about if you just let, you know, let's just declare that we have immunity because we just said so. So Greg, you want immunity? Just, you know, just declare like, Oh, I I, I think I should have immunity. So I do. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, see court case, Court stuff should only apply to the case involved. It should never go beyond the case. This idea of precedent and policy and regulation and making stuff up and interpreting all that stuff is nonsense. I mean, the lowest of on the judicial rung to me is is the court opinions. Next would be statutory law, and the supreme law is the Constitution, and that's the order. Court cases can never be above statutory mm-hmm. law, and statutory law can't be above. Uh, um, the con- constitutional law unless the court case actually finds that a particular statute violates the Constitution. That would be the only exception. Otherwise, you know, and, the, and all they can do is say this law violates the Constitution and strike it down until the legislature corrects it. But they can't have a remedy and they can't provide a policy. That's where the court screws up. So again, it goes back to uh, uh, 19, you know, 1803 and Marbury versus Madison. Let me get one more comment if you have one them then we'll bring up Pianchi and see uh, what he has to say about all this. Going once, going twice. All right. No,
2: I, I thought you were going. No, oh, oh, I thought I, I didn't know you were asking for that. No, I agree. Just go ahead.
1: Okay. Pianchi, welcome to the show. Happy New Year. What's your take on all this?
3: <laughs> well, Happy New Year. Now, the courts make up their own rules the same way that uh, those committees do for Congress. You know, all the committees, whether the Senate committees or congressional committees, the committee chairs, the subcommittees, they are all Democrats. The ranking members are Republican, but if a committee chair don't want a bill to be heard, to be debated, they have the power to stop. Nothing can be done. And, you know, on the Constitution...
1: Yeah, no, let's, let's hold that point because that's a good point. I want to ask Jonathan that same question too. Committee chairs, and like in the House, the Speaker still has the ultimate charge. I mean, there's only one voice, one power, one vote in the in the House, and that's the Speaker. The Speaker determines what the Committee Chairs say because the Speaker is the, the head of the majority party. So as, as we've talked about earlier with Pianki as well, that party is the problem that uh, the Speaker controls – and the Senate Majority Leader controls the Senate – I, not quite the same way cuz they have uh they have the filibuster and they have cloture but it's it's almost as powerful. So that's that's what the real the committee chairs, you know, get their power being a, by being appointed by the speaker in the house especially. Isn't that how it works Jonathan?
2: For, that's yeah, I mean you could describe it in different ways. That would be an accurate way to describe it. Um, <clears throat> the um <coughs> the, uh, you know, I think that's true. Cuz like I think tomorrow um and there's a lot of news about this they're going to hold a vote to for to have a new a new speaker
1: um mm, we should talk about that and, I forgot about that point yeah
2: you know and, and you know the the idea that we're going to you know that we're going to change anything by by nominating uh you know a a a nitwit like like McCarthy or mm-hmm. McConnell is just you know well, the, that's, the only time that's when he yeah. yeah i mean that well i mean on a good day you know on, on a bad day he probably you know mccarthy probably doesn't know you know what what century he's in um or what continent he's on i mean the, i mean to, to my mind i don't think you know this may sound harsh maybe it's a bit over the top <laughs> but i don't <clears throat> i don't see a whole lot of daylight between Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy. Well, that's interesting. I mean, they they're both they're both like mentally, you know, you know, super challenged. Um so here here is the gateway pundit today in your face, McConnell to host Joe Biden at infrastructure bill celebration in Kentucky. Why the <laughs> hell would Mitch McConnell host in Kentucky? I mean, because, because, I mean, remember, people say, well, well, Mitch McConnell did a great job on judges. Yes. But he's answering to the donor class. You know, the infrastructure bill is like wasting tons of money Mm -hmm. for business donors. So Mitch McConnell does an excellent job of representing rich crony capitalists who are corrupt, you know, donors. So, I mean, why else would you? Yeah. Yeah, why else would you celebrate the infrastructure bill in in Kentucky, not in D.C.? Not just wander over to the White House and say hi, you know, good job, Mr. President. But have him come down to Kentucky to celebrate, you know, gigantic waste. I mean, people have, I don't know if you've been watching, but, you know, Rand Paul and others have been, have been chronicling some of the, the waste of money in the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill which, you know, ties the hands of the Republicans through...
1: Uh, well, no, so this is don't understand. I, I don't think I have a constitutional question. I want to get to that, too. But th- this makes no sense, because as soon as the Congress comes in, they can pass another bill and, and completely defund it. They can scrap that funding.
2: No, no, because they have to get the Senate to agree, and they have to
1: get the, the president to sign it. So there's mm-hmm. zero chance. No, but they can do other things. They can refuse to put any... Funding bill through until that bill is revisited. Nope. I mean, they got to start playing hardball. No, but the government's
2: already funded to, through October 1, 2023. Yeah, but each Congress
1: starts it's, fresh. January tomorrow, they can start no. completely new. No. right? No,
2: no, it's not. No, that's the problem. These idiots in in in, in the Republican Party voted to fund you know to, to fund one point seven trillion dollars. To the end of the fiscal year 2023, or 2024, actually. Well, no, 2023. So, so all the spending is locked in until midnight, September
1: 30, 2023. That doesn't make sense to me. That does, I think once the it, Congress is in, they can change it. I don't, because every Congress changes things. They, they always, you know, immediately when a new party takes over, they change everything. Let me get to Pianchi because he's been waiting patiently. Pianchi, go ahead. Um, what do you think and- of this?
3: Well, if they if if Congress is in session, and if the president doesn't sign a bill, it automatically becomes law, unless they aren't in session. But you know, you talk about the Constitution not being perfect. <clears throat> That's why it can be amended by one or two processes per Article Five, and we've seen that happen. You know, early in 1857 with the Dred Scott decision of Justice Taney, which was the correct decision at the time, but to uh, to counter that decision, they, Congress passed the 14th Amendment. You know, Justice Tanney said that Scott was not a citizen, therefore he had no rights,
1: which he was not a citizen. So the 14th Amendment is there for illegal aliens, which have no rights either. But let's get back to this issue. This is I still think there's a there's a problem here, because in the same way that people said that uh, they use the Administrative Procedures Act, saying that uh, Trump had to honor you know, Obama's executive orders. He had to keep DACA going. That was a bunch of uh, horse. You know what? You know, in the same way. Any Congress, if Congress controls the, the revenue bill started in the, in the, in the Congress, I, don't, I mean tax, I mean any spending bill, as I understand revenue is a spending bill, not just a tax bill, but any spending bill starts in the House. The House can, take, can defund anything. They can say, okay, now we're going to vote against that funding. We're going to take that funding back. We're going to put that money back in the Treasury. You can't restrict a Congress. That's, otherwise, every Congress could be restricted by the, the previous Congress. That makes no sense. Jonathan?
2: No, it doesn't. I mean but but you know what can I say? People um, people want to um Yeah
1: you know, well again, it's a difference it's, like
2: between
1: the con- it's the difference between what will happen and what can't happen. What will happen is the Republicans will cave, they'll keep the spending, the Gellings will do nothing, if McCarthy is the speaker, Kevin McDeep State as I call him, the Deep State will rule, it'll be Paul Ryan all over again and nothing will happen until Trump gets there. And you might have a Democrat Congress at that point. What should happen is the Republicans should get some balls. They should cut the funding. They should take $2 trillion out of whatever, you know, Brandon says, and this is your, this is the penalty for this bill. This is the penalty for this bill. They should take, you know, probably half the budget that comes from Brandon. No, you've already bought that stuff. We're not going to fund that anymore. That's what they should do. See, that's the difference. Jonathan.
2: Yeah, well, that's true. But the thing is, remember, 18 Republican senators already voted for 1.7 trillion dollars of spending mm-hmm. including all kinds of outrageous nonsense and things like no money can be spent on a border wall or fence or, or barrier mm-hmm. i mean that that $1.7 trillion, which is really not proper to have to mix legislation and money but but the 1.7 trillion dollars was an, an abomination mm-hmm. and so now how do how do we tell the voters, vote for the Republicans?
1: They'll solve your problems. No, oh, I don't tell voters when to vote for Republicans. <laughs> still, I still have to unregister as a Republican. But, yeah, I don't tell voters ever to do that. There's no point.
2: I mean, you had 18 Republicans vote to pass this, uh, you know, this $1.7 trillion monstrosity. And so we're going to say, you know, and, and you know, for years people used to say there's not a dime's worth of difference between the Republicans and the Democrats. Of course, now the problem is some of that is just an excuse to do nothing. You know, mm-hmm. if you're going to sit home and watch reruns of, uh, you know, of, uh, of Happy Days or something, and you don't want to actually do anything for your country, it's very easy to say, oh, there's not a dime's worth of difference between the Republicans and the Democrats. But it took us, it took the conservative movement movement decades to get people to believe that the Republicans were actually better. And and the Republican establishment, the swamp, has thrown all that away.
1: Yeah. Well, see, this and is again where uh, something we, the states could take over. This is where we talk about this a lot on the show that the states could withhold money. So we're not going to let you spend 1.7 trillion dollars on stupid stuff. We're not just we're just not going to send in that much money. We're going to withhold. You know, each state withholds an apportioned amount of money. You know, saying no, <laughs> we're not going. And the states could do that if they had, again, the gonads to do that. And I don't think they do. It's, it all comes back to the same problem. Nobody has the courage to act except the Marxists. And so the Marxists get to do whatever they want. i me get Pianki's opinion on that. State, state action, Pianchi. What, what could you know, Missouri do? What could uh, Florida do? they has got the
3: power to do? to do it, but they won't do it. And
1: yeah.
3: those, uh, that infrastructure bill had to go through uh, two committees. One is the uh, Ways and Means, and the other is Appropriations. They both hit it. Up and down the mm-hmm. line by Democrats, so Republicans had very little chance of stopping that. And if they if they uh, based on the rules, if they came up with a suggestion, the uh, the committee chair would not have to accept it. It's pretty much a lock with them. Now, the next president position? can come in. The mm-hmm. next president can come in and stop the funding of that infrastructure bill. If they want, that's the same way when Donald Trump tried to take money from one place and put it toward the wall, they stopped it.
1: See, I don't think the president can do that. If if Congress authorizes spending, uh, unless there's another bill deauthorizing spending from Congress, I don't think the president can unilaterally say, "I'm not going to spend money on this." You know, that that, Jonathan doesn't seem right. Congress has to do it. it, it Congress give us and Congress take us
3: away.
2: Conceptually, it isn't, except Congress passed a statute
3: right.
2: giving a president emergency powers. Without that statute passed by Congress, the president could not do it or would, should not do it. Uh, but but if, an, if the president declares an emergency, mm-hmm. he has the authority to, to move money around that Congress appropriate. He can't appropriate money. But he can reallocate it. Like, for example, a President Trump or DeSantis or whatever could take 87, the 87,000 IRS agents and he could say, tomorrow you report to the border. Um, yeah. Or maybe you report to training and then to the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, like, you know, people people who work for the government can be on detail. It's like, um, yeah. I almost got detailed to the Office of Management and Budget. I'm technically working for the U.S. Department of Education, but mm-hmm. they say, you know, report over to OMB. So he could say, you know, he could declare an emergency or he could just say, you know what, all you 87,000 IRS agents, you know, we need you down on the border, you know, we're, you know, sh- you know go down, you know, <clears throat> we'll find housing for you and you're going to show up at the border and you're not going to be doing IRS stuff. Uh, but but that requires authority that the Congress has, has given the president. It's not, you know, it's not, it is not consistent with the Constitution for the anyone other. I mean, the House has to appropriate money. Right. Nobody, you know, nobody cares But that. But the Constitution says that all taxing and spending legislation has to start with the House.
1: So in that case, if they can appropriate money, that means they can unappropriate money, too.
2: They could, but the Senate would have to agree and the Democrats hold the Senate.
1: Right. Oh, I they know that. I understand that. Thing. That's a different thing. But I'm just saying if the House stood their ground, if the House defunded certain things and said, we're not going to fund anything until certain conditions are met, a wall, you know, uh, you know, that certain of the seven trillion dollars that has been spent since COVID, you know, we're going to cancel whatever's left of it. Then we'll start doing appropriations bills. Otherwise, you're not going to have a budget. And we're going to shut the government down. That's what they should do. That's hardball. But then they're not. Again, what they should do and what they, what they will do are two totally different arguments. But that's what they should do.
2: Right. But they don't have to do that until, I mean, the Democrats don't have to worry about that until September 30. That's yeah. Because the, they, because that, uh, they,
1: because they, you know.
2: Republican conservatives were insisting on a short-term bill. Mm-hmm. And, and Mitch McConnell and the you know and, and the the Democrats wearing Republican jerseys went along with went along with um you know with the plan of time of giving up their own power again, you mm-hmm. know w- when Republicans get power they give it up. So what you're saying is let's say we took uh what what is that, what is the famous I guess testogen, uh that's not the one I remember. What what are the um um
1: Oh, testosterone <laughs> boosters? <laughs> Is that what yeah. you're talking about? <laughs> oh yeah, with uh, Doug Flutie and the uh, the big football player, the big hurt, <laughs> that ad. <laughs> right, right, right.
2: Exactly. So if we took those and we administered them to the Republicans, I
1: mm-hmm. guess
2: not the well, I mean the the, the Republican women already have more you know more guts than the Republican men.
1: Oh yeah, but, the the, the only they, men in the Republican Party are the women. <laughs> That's absolutely true.
2: But but if we you know if somehow if somehow if somehow the Republican Republicans in the House you know somehow got a, uh, a spine, um, you know if we gave up spine surgery or I don't know um, you know and and they actually a, a, again the problem. The problem is not that they don't have the power, the problem is they have never used it. And and apparently this goes back to PTSD from Roosevelt. You know, oh, the, really? the 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 Republican Party has been traumatized since since the Roosevelt administration into believe I mean it's like it's like the Patty Hearst syndrome. You remember ever even remember the Patty Hearst syndrome? Oh
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Pa- Patty Hearst was
1: MNE's uh, Liberation Army. I remember that very well.
2: And, and and psychologically, they also called it, the, the psychologists called it the Stockholm Syndrome, mm-hmm. which is that, that um, what, what country is Stockholm? Is that, is that Sweden. Sweden? Yep. Finland. Um, because Sweden. I've the been there. So much in Sweden, yeah. <laughs> in, so much in, in, in danger of the shadow of the Soviet Union yeah. that psychologically you identify with the person you're afraid of. So Patty Hearst psychologically you know ad- aligned with her kidnappers. Mm-hmm. You know they say it's a psychological condition mm-hmm. that people are afraid and, and they will like their, their brain will do mental gymnastics to to agree with the person's threatening them. And and the Republican Party has believed since since the Roosevelt administration that they can never win. No matter what they do, it'll they'll lose. Um, the only you know the only thing that that they can do is try to oh what's the word you know to robble um, to the Democrat party. Manage and the, the decline.
1: I've heard it. So manage the decline is what I've heard, heard it described as. what Newt Gingrich says. Now Newt Gingrich, That's they a- had balls then what what happened during the gingrich time when they actually made clinton you know have a workfare when they actually uh, had a had a budget that was balanced they did not exceed their their their, their revenue what happened then well was that the exception I, I, the, the one exception to the rule they I, it was
2: but it, i mean it was Newt Gingrich, and he was like he was a great man and, and he had other people um, tom delay and, and and other people who were part of that that movement and they did an excellent right. job but then but then they gave up and, and, and then there was the uh, K Street project mm-hmm. where um, Grover Norquist who is a nice guy and I'm friends with him a little bit I mean not like we hang out or thing and there are other people I know who are friends with him and he's done tremendous good work but he and and uh, what's the guys um, oh shoot the guy who's gotten all the trouble They created this this plan. They said, well, the Democrats, to to create a permanent transition, the Democrats have, have maintained power all these decades by having all these business and lobbying relationships. We need to realign business allegiance and lobbying and all the lobbying money so that we make a permanent transition from the Democrats' deep state control of D.C., To uh, a Republican um, dominant government for perpetuity. Um, What they ended up doing was just selling out and becoming corrupt and selling their souls. So, with with the idea of trying to convert the lobbying and business community, what happened was is that they just became the, the the business community converted them, and they just became completely and totally corrupt to the donor class. Interesting. So it, it all came to an end. I mean, I'm not saying that it's that simple. Of course, it's not that simple. But you know, the, you know there's a thousand things happening. But but you know, they the the whole Newt ginrich revolution just sort of died out.
1: I want to get him on the show, but before we go, I got Dressed on the line now, so we're going to switch over here in a bit. Um, can we talk to Chris? And Norquist if we need to talk off the air? But uh, I really want him on the show. He's been on the show. He knows us. But, again, there's, there, there, I'm, I'm running into gatekeepers. And we'll, I don't want to go into details right now. But, uh, you know, we have a bill. We have an electric car tax bill that I want to write with, uh, with uh, one of our reporters. And we need him. You know, I think this will be a fabulous bill. And he'd be the perfect person to have on the air to help us. So any contact you want to make, feel free and, and tell me what's going on. But we'll, I'd like to schedule him. You know, for the show.
2: Well, I, I can tell you how to go about that. It was a fire, a trip to DC, but
1: yeah. Well, you're All there. Right. You're closer than I am. <laughs> can I do a Zoom call? <laughs> can I zoom in myself or something? Anyway, that's
2: not yeah. the way I would uh, do. Would have to do it. But but the thing okay. is, is that um, no, I, I'm I, I'm moving. I'm trying to figure out where I am. So and so I, I may go back to DC this week, but we'll see.
1: Okay. All right. Well, like I said, whatever you can do. Thank you. And let's get uh last word from Pianki on this, and then we'll uh, switch over here a little bit. Pianchi?
3: Well, whatever you you try to do, you got to remember <clears throat> that nothing goes no place until that chair of those committees don't want to go any place. And that's the big thing. And those chairs are influenced by lobbyists and mm-hmm. also other special interests. And right now, the chair of the House of Representatives Committee and the Senate Committee, they are all Democrats.
1: Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and everybody else is caving to them as well. All right. Let me put you on hold. I'm going to hold the calls for a little bit. I'm going to talk to uh, Dorothy and, uh, and our Sex and Sensuality Report. Talk about a change. This is probably the two biggest changes, you know, from, from uh, legal and politics to uh, our very fascinating, uh, very... Um, very, very personal, you know, conversations that we get got going here. So, Dorothy, I'll be right back to you in just a little bit. All right. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio, using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Devastately cool. See all the fun I have here with my buttons? <laughs> I got all this stuff all just pre plan. I need more. I need more commercials, so we need more sponsors here. So you guys want to sponsor the show? I'll make you a, a devastatingly cool commercial. Dorothy, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. How you been? What's going on? Hi.
4: I've been I've been well. How have you been?
1: Uh crazy. <laughs> Uh, a couple of little yeah, challenges well, here, but I'm also honest. great things. It, you know, it's like Charles Dickens. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. You know, so it was like Isn't things are, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Ronald Coleman, the old British actor. You Ever see the the uh, the movie version? He, he spoke like this, said, Ronald Coleman. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And this is how he spoke. Very very terribly British accent, which I tend to emulate at times when it seems appropriate. Anyway. Stuff. I get everything. the I'm holidays
4: unhappy. can be are so fun and and also mm. the, for a lot of us exactly what you're saying the worst of times and the best of times we can have so much yep. connected fun with family and friends and and then for a lot of people especially some people are alone or newly alone or kids are away and can't come home or they're the sole coordinator of all social entertainment and food in their home. And for the, you know, people like that, it's it maybe not so fun and could be super stressful when, when family's coming that we don't always get along with perfectly. And I mean, there's just, you know, a million, I don't need to recount them all, but a million ways where this can be really beautiful and, and special time, but also horrible. And here yeah. it is, it's over-ish. For, <laughs> it's over-ish. And, uh, you know, we can reflect on, well, how did we handle those stressors? Did we... You know, as I always advocate, move towards pleasure and try to find pleasure in the moments as best as possible, or let it all sweep us up and overwhelm us and uh we lost touch, you know intimate touch with our partners and loved ones, or you know allowed the stresses to get the best of us and
1: had a lot of well, people I'm wondering so you know mm-hmm. make ups and breakups what what are people doing over the holidays do you do you see an increase in in both of those?
4: I don't know you know i'm not I'm not really. That's not I, I, so personally. I mean, it's not really my forte professionally, but um, mm-hmm. but personally, I'm I'm not seeing. I'm seeing breakups had already been occurring, and people who are doing that struggling to keep peace for the children, uh, or or just riding it out during the holidays, not making any major decisions, just sort of trying to get through it, right. Yeah. Either way. Before so, the kids.
1: What, what, Hey, we had a great Christmas. Now we're getting divorced. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a crass way of doing it, but, uh, but you know, it's like it, it, the kids already know. So it's just a question of, so you, you fake your way through Christmas and everybody knows they're faking. The kids are faking that they're happy. The parents are, are faking that they're a family. And uh, and then eventually the faking stops. And it's just, I don't know. I don't think there's no good well, way to do it. Kids
4: pick up on that. Kids pick up on that. And my personal opinion is it's better to be open and honest with kids. I mean, all along, you know, in, in a way that's age appropriate for them, because they, mm-hmm. they know, and when they, when you're not open and honest, obviously, kids always think it's about them. They know there's tension. They know there's weirdness, and they always think it's their fault. So I honestly am, am an advocate of just, and I've always been this way with my kids, uh, just telling them the reality with with silver lining, not not in a traumatic way, but in a you know, simple way that, you know, puts a positive spin on it, but acknowledges that there's stressful feelings and there's tension and, and then it's going to go away. It's going to, you know, you know, sadness and anger might come sometimes and this is how we manage it. And then it goes away. And how can we help each other? You know, what are the things that bring us joy? and How can we do that more often move towards those things, even in times Hmm. that are really tough? Um, yeah, so, you know, the holiday, the holidays are pretty much over for most people, and I think sometimes it's so busy, and what I focus on, obviously, is intimacy and sensuality, and I think the busyness can be a real um, damper on that. But if you're already focused, intending moving into the holidays to make that a priority or continue to have fun with your partner, even through all the stressors, I think there's uh-huh. so much opportunity for that in the holidays. There's so much creative, fun opportunity. And if you didn't do it um, and you kind of let things fall apart and there were like a lot of arguments, and you just sort of let things get the best of you. This is a great time now to, you know, eat humble pie <laughs> yeah. and say, Hey, let's have some fun again. I know I've been a crazy, you know, mess and I might have said this, I didn't mean, or I didn't really connect with you and I, got mad at you and you, you know, whatever, all the things, I got stressed out, I flipped out, I didn't, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now let's have some fun time. Let's, let's intentionally reconnect and really get silly and playful again. And have some fun. See, I think
1: holidays are a great time to play. It's just how you do it. Like, you know, to me, innuendo is an art form, <laughs> you know, so I, I, I can take the food, <laughs> you know, I can take anything, holidays, decorations, you know, I'll find something to flirt around you know, so it, it doesn't matter to yeah. me. So I'm probably, you know, I mean, I always do stuff like that. And so you got a partner, you got someone, you know uh, uh, even male, female friendships, you know, you can still get real flirty. I do. Cause it's fun. It <laughs> you know, doesn't always work out well, but anyway, but the point is that th- everything can be, you know, uh, a situation beyond just the, the, the cold reality of whatever it is, you can bring intimacy to anything and that includes Christmas dinner you know and maybe not appropriate with the whole family around but uh you know you can have some fun when you're doing those dishes i'm sorry <laughs> you know there's just there's like an infinite variety of ways to to spice up you know the most mundane thing and that's that's what i've always tried to do you know in any relationship just because well, laughter, it's more fun
4: yeah well you're right you're 100% spot on and laughter i i feel like you know, having that family dinner Mm-hmm. my goodness, I mean the expectations I feel like a lot of us in our generation were raised by families that had and i don't know if this is true for you, but uh, you know I know a lot of a lot of people my age a lot of these victorian type table expectations, right these very formal rules for behavior and um yeah, when you introduce an ec- well when you introduce an eclectic mix or children um, you know m- most people can't live up to those. Standard. So this idea of perfection and behavior and presentation and food and everything is really, I mean, overwhelming. And so I feel like bringing laughter in is one wonderful connecting solution when things go wrong. And if you can laugh at at, at everything at any time, I think you've kind of won. And also just the let the you know, and just- up- yeah. <laughs> I talk
1: mean, I about was, I was Even when I was a kid, I'd find humor. That was, it got me in a lot of trouble. But, you know, why would you dress up kids, you know, fancy dress and then bring them to a big turkey dinner and say, don't spill food on yourself? I mean, come on, five-year-olds. I mean, I remember being five going, why am I doing this? Why am I dressing up, you know, for a big dinner? It's too hot. The heat's always too hot. This is Toronto, right? So we're talking Toronto, Canada, you know, 50 below zero, you know, so I'm cold. Then I go into houses house that's too hot. You know, then I have to, you know, sit in, in a place that's too hot, eating a dinner that's too hot, you know, and, and uh, but I can't spill any food on because I have to look good. And I was of uh, the, uh, the, the children, you know, are seen and not heard generation. So a lot of times kids ate separately. Mm-hmm. You know, they're actually separate tables yeah. for the kids, you know, yeah. it's it, it like the banishment table. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I thought, well, it was, you know, we're going to be with family, but we're not, <laughs> you know, we're going to separate the kids out. The kids out. table so is a very the...
4: interesting phenomenon. That's a v- yeah, the kids table is an interesting phenomenon. But think. on that note, when you're saying, why would you do that to children? Well, the reason you would do it is for a show to to show that you're good enough, to show that your kids are perfect looking, to show that, that you're this perfect family. I, I don't know why you would do it besides the show. I do tell my children. Now, I do say this, like if we're going somewhere, the way you dress can be a reflection of how you feel about where you're going. So when you put on clothes that have holes in them, it might look to others like you really don't care at all about your, your appearance or about just kind of honoring them with your presence of looking clean and nice. So we do talk, I do talk to my kids about choices and and, and about psychology that literally, that, you know, when people do judge you on based on how you look, do we wish it wasn't like that? Maybe, but it is. It's a basic psychological. You have your hair brushed, you have a smile on your face, you have your clothes look at least intact and, and neat people are going to assume you're a little smarter and you're a little more responsible. So Mm -hmm. that's a real thing. So we talk about that, but it's different than, you know, we, we have to look this way because of what people will think if we don't. And then the pressures being through the like really too high for the age. And, um, you know, just a lack of connection, more of a show and a performance for everybody else. I think there's a, there's just some sort of line line there that um, in our generation wasn't exactly reasonable for for expectations
0: for
1: children. And the children's table, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah,
1: well, there's a big difference between, you know, holes in your T-shirt and and, uh, a jacket and tie. Uh, as opposed to, you know, I mean, how about a, just like a nice polo shirt that maybe is a couple of years old, so stuff does spill on it. It's not that big a deal. You know, that's I mean, right. just don't wear you, your you white can, polo shirt. Don't wear the whites. Don't wear whites to, to dinner. You know, don't go out to a spaghetti dinner, you know, wearing a white shirt. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not date food. We're talking about date food too. But, you know, why would you do that? If you want the kids to be included, if you want the family to be a family, you know, who are you trying to impress? And there's this whole idea of normalcy that's, uh, you know, everybody's trying to look normal. They're trying to do what they're supposed to do on the holidays. You know, the woulda, coulda, shoulda. I have to look this way for the holiday for my relatives who are looking that way. You know, the host is trying to be the ideal host. The guests are trying to be the ideal guest. And all these ridiculous expectations are always out there. Why don't you just have fun? You know, the whole point of family, you only see each other once a year. So you're going to pick the one time of the year to get together to be miserable because you've all got these ridiculous misplaced expectations. So here's a thought. Wouldn't it be better to families to talk, you know, a month before Christmas, they're like, we're all getting together for Christmas. I want to make this fun. You know, how can we, how can we, you know, deescalate? How can we have a good time, look good, feel good. And, you know, should we talk politics? Should we not talk politics? It's almost like you establish ground. You talk about a relationship contract. How about having a holiday mm-hmm. contract? How would that be?
4: Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Love it.
1: Hmm.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And you would need to be a family where people are receptive to that idea but again, you know, if you're the leader of that idea, then all you can do is present it in a way that can be heard and hopefully others agree uh, because why not get away from, I don't think it serves anyone well because it's really a shame-based, in my opinion, it's a shame-based behavior, this this becoming, being very uncomfortable and stressing everyone out to look perfect and have its image so that I'm, a, you know, because really what it comes down to is, who I really am isn't good enough. I have to put on this image and show for my family if they think I'm successful and I've got it all together and, and I'm perfect essentially. Right. And if well, that's it, an it, impossible standard being so, really uh, authentic, like let's have a yeah. big old low country boil and pour it on the table and wax paper instead of having a fancy dinner and just dig in in our mm. sloppy clothes. And, um, <laughs> I don't know, there's, yeah, just to break it down and make it a really like your family Christmas versus what you saw on TV. I love that idea. Yeah, Grant. yeah, the Hallmark we Channel. We talk about we, it ahead we, of
1: we, time. <laughs> we, yeah, so we have a holiday contract. Well, we need the, the Hallmark Channel where everything looks looks pretty and everything's perfect. And uh, most people don't have the time to, to set up an entire movie set like they do. So if that's your expectation, that's not going to work. So what you want to well, do. Well, I live in a neighborhood. hmm
4: uh-huh. I have lived in a neighborhood where that was the reality. It's really interesting. Oh, really? Most people don't have the time. I mean, I, I've well, lived in a neighborhood people. where <laughs> they, they, hired they either hired people or the, literally the children, the kids just got completely ignored. So if you put your kids, if you put your kids in school early and have enough extracurricular activities after school, and they're not home until after dark, you, you probably have time to do a lot more. Things. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've, I've lived in neighborhoods where the perfection was really, um, emphasized and it was fascinating, but there was a lot of pathology also. Hmm. Like I'm talking like dining room, dining rooms, always looking like we're about to have a very fancy four course, five course meal, um, always with fresh flowers, always impeccable. It, It was, it kind of blew my mind. I mean, you would look, you know, you, to look around and observe, you would see where, what was falling through the cracks, and sometimes it was the most important things falling through the cracks.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the dining yeah. table that's only used once a year—the you know the, the family visit—you know it's just too much stress on the holidays. We need to de-stress and have some fun. You know, this is why I'm glad—you know—when I raised my kid that we had—I uh, had an older car. And I told her, because, you know, the first thing that you, you, you go in any, any, you know, other family's car, you know, don't get your feet wet, you know, or don't, get, don't bring in your muddy feet into the car. Don't do this. Don't do that. No, 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 no. And I said, wait a minute. I got a kid. Kids are going to be grubby. I want to go play in the beach. I want to go play in the mud. I want to go play in the leaves. I want to have snowball fights. I want to do all this kind of stuff. I don't care what happens to the car. So because of that, we had a blast, <laughs> you know, I mean, other people's cars, they had different expectations, but in my car, her feet were always up, always bare feet, hanging out the window, whatever. <laughs> I didn't care. We had more, you know, different stuff or whatever we, we whatever snack we brought in, you know, I mean, I cleaned it up, but it was half the times it ended up on the floor and ice cream was everywhere. And who cared? We had a great time. So mm-hmm. but when there was when there's a time to be formal, there was a time to be formal, but you know, around me, it was like, you know, we just, we just had a blast. And talked about everything and had a really great time. And you know, the more I think about the holiday contract, I mean, I talk to people I say, "Why didn't you? Why can't you arrange this ahead of time? You know, why can't you talk to people?" So, what is it? Is is it the lack of, of communication ahead of time? The lack of wanting to communicate ahead of time? The the thing to to prove that you understand ahead of time that you're the good person, that you're going to have the perfect dinner, and you're just going to you know use all these expectations and purposely not say anything. You know, so well, that, I think it's uh, a lack you, of self-awareness.
4: I think, it's, huh. I think it truly makes you happy. I think there are there are probably those people it truly makes them happy. And I think when you introduce kids, everything changes. But and they mm-hmm. really do excel in this sort of perfect, sort of like cooking the perfect meal and having it. And they host and they actually enjoy it. I, I've met those people. I think they're rare, but they actually enjoy it. They they do it smoothly. Somehow it all works. And. Oh. um and, I, and, and that's where they, that's like they thrive in that sort of, I mean, it, I, you know, having everything, everything done, everything looking good, hosting, um, that does exist. But I think for most people, it, it, that's not really their strength. And I think just self-awareness, like this truly brings me joy. I love it. Pick up on my joy. They help me out. They know how much I love it, like because I'm doing it out of joy and service to others. Energy, not out of obligation or shame or fear what will happen if I can't do it right and the stress so that, you know, kids, kids pick up on that too. So I think if you mm-hmm. actually have a domestic leader who truly enjoys it, thrives in that arena, it's really good at it, then you have a particular situation. But I think for most of us, it's just, that's just not our forte. We can cook a delicious healthy meal, but it, the kitchen looks like a tornado and um, we don't really want to set out all these perfect dishes. We just want to enjoy our delicious meal together, however we do it. So, you know, and just authentically owning who you are and what you have to offer and offering it with joy. And if you cannot offer it with joy, if it's not your forte, if it doesn't resonate as feeling really good and a gift that you can give without yourself feeling crazy, then don't give it. Choose another gift to give in the holidays. Don't be the host, you know, Um, and just be authentic and say, Hey, in our family, um, we have the most fun when we do it this way. So let's just do it this way. And, uh, if someone, we want to invite someone to join us on our level, like, you know, we'll do the best we can for what we do and, and, um, good friends will appreciate that. And, uh, you know, everybody having a good time and being happy will be, it'll be really clear and that'll, it'll be the best time because of that. Yes. <laughs> Makes
1: sense. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking of, I, I remember watching, uh, some of the photos that you post, you know, we, we were, uh, I was teasing you about the, the gingerbread men and women. <laughs> that was hysterical. Yeah. But the thing was the kids were involved in the process. And I think what happens is if you uh, if you it's a double bind, if you obligate yourself to making a perfect meal, you obligate other people to judge it and, and judge whether it's a oh. perfect meal and tell mm-hmm. you accordingly. And so you've, you've actually made prisoners of, of both parties. You've made prisoners of the people at the dinner who have to have now have the pressure to tell you it was the perfect meal. Uh, and so you're stressing. That's kind of weird. Yeah. But so why don't you involve people in the process? You know, like I said, here's what we're doing for Christmas. What do you think? Oh, that sounds good. You know, what can you bring? So if everybody brings something, yeah, potluck. I'm a big, big believer mm-hmm. in potluck because then no one person, you know, has everything. And someone says, hey, that was really good. Yeah, get, get more of that next year. Okay, fine. You know, but if you're involved in the process, then it, once people are involved in the process and the outcome doesn't become as important, what becomes important is the process. And the process to me is more fun. And there's mm-hmm. more, more egalitarian, as it were, you know, so everybody brings something in, you come in, you're kind of casual. Okay, this is fun. We'll set this up. Where do you want to put that? I want to put this over here. Okay, fine. And it becomes a whole different deal than if one, if all the pressure is on one person to make the perfect meal, and everybody's sitting there waiting for it, you know, is that like, what's more fun, the wedding or the reception? <laughs> the reception is more fun. That's Because you know, right. a good time.
4: The one where you get to be loosey-goosey and laugh and dance and yeah. all the things. Wedding is and... all
1: pressure. Yeah, no, the reception's fun. Yeah, no, go right to so right the reception. True.
4: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There, there or have the reception There are some said for ceremony and, and, and you know, and you understand ceremony and Well, that's ritual. That's and, different. Inhuman. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so say prayer, grace and then and tell, then tell sac- jokes. Say you know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's a balance. I think we're talking about a balance mm-hmm. and, and also being authentic with who you are and what excites mm-hmm. you. So if you, bring, if you bring other people into the realm of your own pleasure and excitement, that is what feels really authentic and connected and joyful, right? When it's really you and you're really wanting to share it from your heart and mm-hmm. you're giving what you have to offer, whether well, no matter what that is, what kind of dinner that is or party or get together and, uh, and you're honest and like you said, communicate ahead of time. And they feel your excitement and joy and they get to share that. And whatever that is becomes the most special thing and the most fun mm-hmm. thing.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, you know, for years. Just like uh, sex. <laughs> go ahead. Was that just like what?
4: I just said just like sex because, you know, I have to tie it all together. Well, of course. Like well, we'll, we'll get to Christmas sex in
1: a minute. That's, that's a whole other topic. And uh, yeah, But uh, I was just thinking, you know, when I used to celebrate Christmas, my, my favorite Christmas was actually when I was working. You know, I was a tour guide in San mm-hmm. Francisco for years. and We drove these motorized cable cars that were all decorated with Christmas lights and people sang, sang Christmas carols on board. And, you know, people bring like you know, hot chocolate and goodies. And we had a blast. It was really fun. So Christmas was, to me, was meeting people from all over the world. Taking him around San Francisco with these absolutely gorgeous lights because they do have professional directors. I mean, yeah. decorators, you know, because of the Bay Area, right? they got a professional in everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So, uh, they, you know, the, the, the urban renewal and all the other stuff, the, the, the work that's done on houses, you know, it's, it's amazing what, uh, how much money there is in the Bay Area. But the point was I had people from around the world, and they would meet on my cable car. And we would start at Fisherman's Wharf, and then we'd go through, um, you know, North Beach and Chinatown and, uh, you know, and around the town and up uh, through uh, Union Street, which is absolutely gorgeous. And uh, we couldn't go to Knob Hill, but we go through downtown, and we go past City Hall. we got go up to Knob Hill, where the Fairmont Hotel was, and they had this big gingerbread. This is why I think it's funny. You know, doorway. You know, It was real gingerbread, but, uh, you know, people were trying Ooh. to rip it off. It's like, guys, it's glued on. Don't eat the gingerbread. <laughs> okay, fine. Okay, you know, and then, uh, and, it's, and then we go through the poorest section of town, the Tenderloin, which is where the, the drug dealers and the homeless and some real, you know, crime problems are. But uh, I literally, you know, stopped drug deals on the street by singing Jingle Bells. And I saw, you know, I saw a deal going down. I said, hey, let's go. Let's have some fun. So I, I literally, this, is, this, is, this happened a few times. You know, it's, hey, guys, stop the drug dealing. Let's sing Jingle Bells. Okay, man. And they remember me like the next year, too. So this is the kind of craziness I get up to. So that was my Christmas. Totally different than anybody else's. But uh, people never forgot. You know, if you went on, on one of those Christmas tours, uh, the magic happened. That to me was magic You have drug dealers singing Jingle Bells and just stop just for that minute, just to kind of think and, and have other people just sort of say, oh, wow, this is really Christmas. You know, it was like a Charles Dickens moment. And that to me was Christmas, you know, and so I loved it. So the, by the time Christmas came along, I just for a break because <laughs> I done a month worth of Christmas tours. I was like, Okay, I'm done. So my holiday was Christmas.
4: Time to receive. Yeah. Time to relax yeah. and receive.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Done my bit. Done my work. Yep, don't need a party. do it's wonderful if you out
4: in the community. Yeah. Well, oh, if yeah. you Love think it. about like, if you think about what psychologists have discovered about the key to happiness, you're checking mm-hmm. quite a few boxes there in that mm. Christmas oh, activity did you, you did. <laughs>
1: we should talk about happiness well, and sex, but uh, so tell me what. Uh, right.
4: Working together in groups. Working together mm-hmm. in groups. Try doing ahead. something productive that helps others brings others joy in mm-hmm. some way or helps them in some way, um, noticing beauty. I mean, we could go on and on like covering, if you were yeah, singing, we, know, we yeah. Oh, yeah. know for a fact that singing raises the vibration of yourself and those, it's not just Elf that said, what was that movie Elf with has said, Sing loud and clear for all to hear, or something. The way to spread I don't know. Christmas I I, I, I can't stand Will out.
1: Ferrell, so I've never seen it. Well, I've watched like five minutes TV of his films movie. and go, no, sorry, he's just no, sorry, can't I can't deal with him. But anyway, there's only well, very a few actors. Well, a know
4: I, the you know. movie Elf, and in the movie Elf, okay. he says the way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear, and there's that's actually very true. Okay. Um, but it does it does bring it does raise the mood. It raises the frequency. It raises the vibration of those and those around you, and Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just listening to a story about in San Francisco, how many how many ways that brought joy to you and others. And um, that's really beautiful. I, I bet you miss it.
1: <laughs> uh, no, because I did everything I wanted to do. And that's that's my theory, too. It's like raising kids. You know, with my daughter, I, we, I went to all the places I wanted. We traveled, you know, had all the experiences, you know, all the tumble down of the sand dunes, all the – Different restaurants, you know, all the different places and all the adventures and the, the horseback riding on the beach and, the, you know, pretty much everything that, that I could think of, we did. So, no. And mm-hmm. that's my secret. And that, yeah. that's something we should talk about, too. You don't have regrets when you do everything that you want to do. And that's a huge yeah, to say yes. key to success. So, while you have like kids, just, do, just do everything just, you want to do. Yeah, just do everything you want to do. I like to tell my
4: kids, yeah, say yes mm-hmm. to everything. Try to say yes mm-hmm. to everything. Well, um, that's a huge point, can. too.
1: Um, and this is we're, we're digressing a little bit here, but uh, I noticed this in, in uh, grocery stores Parents all they do is say no to their kids stay by the cart. Don't do anything sit quietly shut up Don't grab at anything. Don't is like no. No, no I mean how many no's there's like That's you right. know, a couple hundred no's per grocery visit now with my kid because I you know I me mean, I'm the creative. I'm like the Bruce Lee, you know be the river not the rock philosophy So I'm, looking, so I'm thinking what can I do this different? I got a kid. I got a kid that's that's energetic. I have to get the shopping done, and we're not going to have any food. So how can I combine the two? So when was old enough, I forgot her cell phone, and I would send her to the furthest part of the store to pick up something that I needed, but I knew it was at the furthest point in the store, and she knew it too. This was the game. And I told the staff, I said, "This is my kid. She's with me. You know, any problems, let me know immediately." You know, each of us have a phone and we're in touch with each other. So if anything happened, Mm -hmm. everybody would know real fast. So, so they, you know, they kind of watched it. They thought it was cute. So I'd send her. I'd be at one end of the store, send to the other. She'd come back, and then I'd get to the other end of the store. Oh, I forgot something back here, which I would do intentionally, right? And I'd send her back. So she's run all over the – not run. Well, sometimes she did run, actually. But she, you know – Well, I mean, my children
4: have done my shopping, yes, for years. Like I have three of them, and the food are old enough. I mean, they Mm -hmm. took pride in it. I would say, okay, here's our list. Let's get it. Can you go get heart. this and this and this? And as soon as they're old enough, you know, and I would say, now remember, get bananas with a little bit of green, go get three oranges, and I'd give them a list they could remember, and it was good for brain connections too. Mm. I would say, you know, get this, this, and this. And if they're little, i just send them for yeah. one thing. But if, you know, my – yeah. You know, my 13-, 15-year-old, I can say, hey, here's five items. Go get those. And most of the time, I'll come back with the right five items. And they know to buy organic, and they know it's non-GMO, and they know not to have sugar in the peanut butter. Like, they know because they've done it with me their whole life. Like, our groceries, that's exactly what I did at the grocery stores. And I don't know if it's because I'm a lazy mom or a creative mom, but I was like, okay, let's get out of here, guys. Come on, you got to go get this. We're all we're all in this together. And, you know, I could rely on them because uh, we were always together, and I, I knew I could rely. Like, I didn't feel worried about their safety. You know, we were in small town North Carolina. So, um, yeah. well, what they agreed. think they're going yes. to too. You, you, you make them part of the team, is what
1: we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. They're
4: part of the team. They feel useful. They feel so purposeful. The no mm-hmm. stuff is so epidemic. It is ridiculous what you're talking about. I hear the same thing. No to everything. There's parents that say it's like the kids can't even move without being scolded. It's yep. insane to me. I don't what understand are we creating? It. What are we raising? Yeah. I mean, a long time ago, um, you know, I'm fortunate to have a circle of friends that are very well educated in different areas.
0: Uh-huh. And
4: one of my friends a long time ago, when the kids were little, said, try to find a way to say, make every no a yes. Like, you know, this is not a good idea right now, but let's do this instead. Or yes, yeah. you can have a sleepover next week when we get back from such and such. Or yes, you can have that cookie after dinner. Let's go ahead and get it. Dinner is at five. You can have it at six. So find a way to say yes. Mm
1: -hmm. And
4: that was such great advice. I tried to use it. Yeah, I
1: I adopted the same rule myself with with my kid. Excuse me. It's like try to say no as little as possible. So my no's really came down to safety. You know, if she wanted to do something that was unsafe, dangerous, you know, risky or whatever I was that uh, I decided not to do it, that's what I was based on. But people say no just for the sake of saying no. You know, and you you ruin kids completely. But so you wonder, you know, when people get conditioned to hearing no for everything, at what point do they stop asking? You know, and that that could translate into relationships later on too. That uh, you know, nobody asks for anything because they, they know they're going to get a no. So what's the point? This is going to reach an epidemic level as you talked about earlier. Now that what's I think about
4: very it, very interesting. And why why as a parent do we feel the need? It's in that sphere. It's fear based. And I'll tell you. So we belong to a World school, Schoolers. I belong to World Schoolers on Facebook and What's that? have for many years it's it's a group where the parents like to travel with the children so children are homeschooled you almost always or unschooled even and mm-hmm. the focus is you take your children around the world you travel you you school them around the world you take them to the oh, asylum, Islands. you take them to okay so mm-hmm. a long time ago Someone wrote a post that said, hey, what's the most child-friendly countries to visit? You know, people will go with like their two-year-old, four-year-old, mm. and seven-year-old, like Thailand. Right. And they're like, okay, where do I stay? How do I make sure this is as easy as possible? So someone wrote a post, what, what's the most child-friendly countries to visit? And wow, that got so many responses, hundreds of responses. And the same countries came up over and over. And then halfway down, Which someone said, oh, oh gosh, go it was like New Zealand, Turkey, um, I, Indonesia, oh. Thailand. uh wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yep. Where they will oodle over your child, pass them around a restaurant, make a big deal, never scold for childlike behavior, never have to feel self-conscious, never have to apologize for your children. The children are adored. It, and so, so halfway down the list, um, someone said, I don't see the U.S. anywhere on here. And after that comment, there was a whole lot Ooh. of subcomments comments on that. People talking about both from the U.S. and internationally talking about how horrible it is to visit the U.S. with children, how, how stressful it is, how you feel guilty everywhere you go, how everyone's shushing, you get dirty looks, that, that it's so unchild friendly. And so I raise my kids here, and it's hard to even see that sometimes um, when you're living there, but I've always sensed it. I always felt like the sense of what are, it's, you know, they're kids. Like, I don't let my kids run amok. I'm, I'm actually probably more on the strict side doesn't matter mm-hmm. even so a mom cannot win on the airplane in the parks, in the grocery store there's always shamers for children here they're everywhere and i think it's because we have a shame-based culture you treat children the way you were treated and um hopefully we're going to break this cycle but this this nose we're talking about where everything is a no i believe comes from there the need to have everyone think you're perfect your children behave perfect it's just like on tv it's just like in victoria england that's your reality. You don't actually have children that are real humans. You have perfect little robots, and that's your self-esteem. And if you don't, something's wrong with you. And there's, I think this messaging in our heads, a lot of parents. So the no comes from that energy of, I don't know, don't let any humanity show through. Any real no, I think you're right. It's, your a, it's, a,
1: it's a fear and a control thing. And I find kids, young kids, you know, two, three, four, five five years old, because I'm very animated, as you can probably imagine. Um, this is what we have to meet some days. So we kind of fun. But I'm extremely animated in everything I do. Everything's a joke. Everything's a story. Everything's an adventure. I'm basically, you know, a five year old in a 60 year old's body, um, the way I look at life. And so the kids pick up on that. So they're waving at me and I'm waving back and stuff and I think can I do this? Is this gonna be a problem? And it depends on the parent. The parents are like, Hey, this is great, you know, and sometimes I've had conversations with four year olds, you know, in line checking out and sometimes the parents are like, you know, don't talk to strangers, don't do this, no that. It's like, Okay, I gotta shut up now. You know, but there's such a difference. And the, the saddest thing in the world is to see an animated kid, you know, in a controlling parental situation and I know damn well that they're gonna come out of this as teenagers, their spirits gonna be broken. There's going to be nothing left of this wonderful, you know, joyous person with the big bright eyes who's like just a tiny little person who I'm waving at and engaging with and you know, making faces and doing stuff. And I don't understand well, like, why parents can't yeah, see that. And I don't want to mix with someone else's kids too much because, you know, like I say, there's boundaries. Like, what are you doing here with my kid? Well, nothing. I'm making faces. You know, it's okay. I'm sorry, I think.
4: Okay. And that's culture you know. too, to convince against yeah. that, that, that that men that are friendly are predatory I mean, that's yep. interesting. That's, that's a part of that. our culture also. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah where it's not, it's
4: mostly mm-hmm. the elite. Let's not get into that. But um, yep. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I agree with you. And what I will say to that on a, like the worry that what's going to happen to that child. So there's mm-hmm. something in the sphere of that child that will probably survive. But during teen years, they're going to push back. They're either they, at some point that child has to choose themselves or the belief mm-hmm. that their parent is giving them the, the, yep. the, the, the messaging from the external world, Or their true heart, and that battle looks really ugly sometimes in the teen years. It can look like anorexia, cutting, drug use, rebellion, inappropriate sexual behavior. Um, Rebellion. It it doesn't have to be that.
1: For, you know, abandonment of, bad, but, of, of, of things are different, yeah. but rebellion is still part of the, you're still in the, you're still in the situation if you're rebelling, if you abandon yeah. the conditioning and live your own life, that's the higher level. That's the, that's the escape.
4: But that, that usually comes later because in the teen years, I think it's hard to, you oh, know, absolutely. oh yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. So that So that that's what it looks like in the teen years. And then for adults, eventually the healing happens and you can make a clean break. And that's when you reconnect with those adults that, made you feel as if who you were was not okay i mean that's a lot mm-hmm. of healing to be done and a lot of forgiveness and then sometimes you have children estranged from their family that just decide not to go back or yeah. then the children are able to That'd mend be the relationship with <laughs> an adult yeah. yeah and then that's yeah. really hard to do so um it'd be wonderful to shake off that uh in our culture to, to just shake shake off
2: that well you save so but much I, time i, you know,
1: I, mean, I lost decades, you know, to, to conditioning. So I figure 25 years of conditioning and then 25 years of, of unconditioning. And so by yeah. the time I was 50, I was pretty happy, you know. Yeah. Even though there were still other bouts to go through. By the time I was, you know, I'd say... 55 to 60 was like when things really started picking up, and now, of course, I'm I'm ecstatic every day. I mean, it's crazy. I love being in my 60s because I can do things Well, now you refound that, yourself,
4: You're, yeah. And
1: so, yeah, I think like
4: How much? How nice would it be to not to not have all that time you had to heal? And so, I, yeah. I believe our system. You know, the, the system is encouraging parents. You know, to make sure the children are obedient drone robots. And how do you take a beautiful free spirit full of amazing ideas that can mm-hmm. change the world for the better? And, and, and and take away all of that beauty and turn them into drone, obedient, compliant, fearful robots, the pressures on the parents to do that from media and from the system, the religious systems and Mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of systems. And so the parents, you always tell parents of new babies, use your intuition. Your intuition is your best guide, mom, best guide. You're going to hear a lot of voices in your ear. It feels right.
1: It probably is. yeah yeah. yes your baby
4: and the maternal baby connection the intuition and they break that early on by the sleep training and formula and listen i don't guess it's rare the woman can't breastfeed but it does happen great formula but 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 the breast connection with the baby is what creates that oxytocin bond and then you have this attachment you can have it without the breastfeeding obviously but it's one example of how the system weasels away in there (laughs) with a crowbar and tries to break the attachment and that early on breaking of attachment leads to these other abilities as the child gets a little older and older, these other breaks in the attachment, break in the trust with its parent child, giving the child away to the system, you know, behavior and how it looks over authenticity of the child and connection. So it kind of starts very early. So we got, you know, breaking these cycles by talking about it and being a louder voice and explaining to moms. No, pick up your child when they cry. You know, sling yeah. them to you. They need to feel skin-on-skin contact. Don't give birth in the hospitals. I hate to say it. Crazy, right? <laughs> Do, True. All the research yeah. points you. Your you to, you walk in the hospital door, your chance of C-section shoots up through the roof, even if you're healthy. And we wow. have this whole mythology in our culture of the childbirth being so dangerous, it has to be in the hospital. No, the hospitals where the first break in attachment usually happens, the first giving your baby over to the system in many, many ways. It's, it's, it's it, And I don't want to oh, get into that now, but I've like being thing. aware <laughs> of these
0: things.
4: Day. Yeah, well, yeah. being aware now. of all the steps and, and saying, no, yeah. no, we're going to hold our children close and honor them and, and support them and show them the guidelines and rules of the social climate we live in with love and grace and a lot of permission and a lot of allowance and a lot of, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
4: understanding.
1: Yeah. You know? yeah. Something I thought of earlier in the show—a uh, question of—you know—we're talking about when, when kids ask questions. I figure if a kid's old enough to ask the question, they're they're old enough to to hear an answer. That still has to be you mm-hmm. know, age appropriate, you know. But if the kid's asking a question, they've obviously thought about. it. They're yeah. mature enough that they can deal with it with whatever the answer is. You know, if a kid says, you know, "Are you getting divorced?" for example, um. they, they're entitled. They they know they already know what's what's going on. So if you start, you know, weasel wording and break trust and everything like that, then you don't see them all the details. Oh, yeah, my, my, uh, my future ex sucks, blah, blah, blah. Don't do that. But what I'm saying is if a kid asks you that question, you know, then they're entitled to an answer. And I always felt that way, too, and that, that seems to work out. But you, the answer will change when they ask the same question next year and then the following year. It's like, yeah, the answer is going to get more involved. But, um, but, you know, there's so many. It's like we don't treat kids like people. They don't realize that they're, they're independent souls and they are, they are brilliant in their own way. They're extremely perceptive and they're a whole lot of fun. You know, it's not like these attachments that you have to deal with until they, they move out. And then, of course, you realize all the things you didn't do. And I don't have that problem because I did all the things I wanted to do. You know, so it worked out really well. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. In fact, I, here's something else I was thinking of too. A lot of times in grocery stores, when a kid starts screaming, you know, I'll look at the kid and go, you've got great lungs. That sounds fabulous. It usually shows the kid up. But I'm really talking to the parents. It's like, it's okay for your kid to scream. That's what they do. We all had kids. They all scream right. at the wrong time. So, and then I'll say That's to parents, I right. said, great set of pipes there. That sounds good. I said, I've heard that noise before. And they're like, oh, yeah. yeah okay, Me you go. too. And then,
4: I try, I try and, to do the same thing.
1: Connect wild, with them though? and let
4: them know it's normal. It's okay. You're doing a good job.
1: Yeah. We've Why all been we do there.
4: That? Don't worry about it. Yeah. Why do we
1: do that? Why do we do that?
4: Why do you and I do that?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Because It's love. And it's kindness yeah. and we see because we both separately on our journeys seen the truth about this world in some big yeah. way. And, and we're bound and determined to heal it tiny drops at a time or mm-hmm. big steps at a time. And that's a tiny healing drop and it's going to make ripples and it's going to make a big difference. I, I believe it does. I believe that person, cause I've been that person is so grateful that that mom and, and then she softens a little bit and she's less stressed and.
1: Oh, know, I see it come right out their faces, you know, moms and dads. Yeah. I've seen them both totally de-stressed. It's like, yeah, what a great set of lungs. I said, that kid's going to be a singer one day. Oh yeah, I know. They sing all the time. say well, there you go. We'll give them a fake microphone. You know, well, let's, let's hear yeah. what they got.
4: <laughs> we need totally loud changes. people to stand. There's so much going on. That's crap. We need our loud voices that I'm yeah. not afraid to yell it out in the streets. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm mad as hell. And, oh, you remember that scene in Network? I'm mad as hell and I won't take it anymore. Do you remember that, Peter Finch?
4: What was the, what was the movie?
1: There was a movie called Network. This is years ago. And I think it came out in the 70s. Mm-hmm. It was Peter Finch, who's Australian, and William Holden, who's also Australian, and uh, Faye Dunaway. And they had this it – was, it was called Network, and it was all about network news. And it was all about the, the channeling of the news. And there's one character called Howard Beale. I'm not going to give away all the film because it, it, it was an amazingly intuitive film for its day. But Howard Beale becomes the angry man. And the angry man becomes the newscaster. And he does, he does all the things that, uh, that everybody wants to say, but nobody has, has the, the guts to say. He says, if you want to fix this situation, you've got to get mad. You've got to go to your window. Roll up your window right now. And say, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And of course, you see cities all over the country, right? People are yelling out the windows, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. You can find it on video. I'll I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send you the video okay. if anybody's, you know. But uh, And that's, you know, the, the Howard Beale thing. And so it gave people permission to do what they wanted to do all the time. You know, so it was quite fascinating. Anyway, I don't know how I, I, I love got on with that. It. <laughs>
0: but well, it's true. The, the world. voices. this is the show for those voices. This is where little, people can come little... Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. The little things that make a difference and that and that are drips of love in the world, drips of compassion, drips of empathy, uh, understanding. I see you, I feel you, and I love you and we're we're alike. We have something in common. I you know, those kind of messages and the way you say it. And um I had originally we were talking about how to you know, relationships and the holidays and for me I wanted to just touch on even if it's simplistic, ways to reconnect with your intimate partner after the stresses of the holidays. Um, Mm -hmm. cause again, we're talking about, you know, it starts at home, right? It starts with the little things, the grocery store. And and if you're in an intimate relationship, um, you can cause ripples of love energy out into your community by connecting and having a happy partnership. Couples that are happy and that go out into the coffee shop or go out into the, and they've be connected and they're happy. They spread this energy and, and they're stronger together. So, If you've had a stressful holiday and you haven't really gotten to connect with your partner, um, I always like to remember the five love languages because that's really so reliable and lovely. So, you know, asking asking your partner if you need help, they need help with anything. Maybe Mm -hmm. the house is a wreck. Your family has left now. A lot of things have been neglected. Can I take your car to get it cleaned? Can I fill up your car with gas? Let me make a big dinner for us so you can get your things done and you don't have to think about that. Um, yep. Helping with chores. So that's, again, meeting the acts of service, which is a lot of, a lot of couples' love language is acts of service. So uh, that's an idea. Um, mm-hmm. Another one is obviously, I think we talked about laughing. Laughing together. to find a way to make everything funny. Find a way to tickle their funny bone.
1: Oh, that, that's my uh, that, that's my raison d'être. That's I live <laughs> <good> for that because <laughs> everything is funny when it comes down to it. it really, everything.
4: Is. Well, everything. Yeah, and know your partner what makes them laugh,
1: and mm-hmm. um, because it shows
4: that you see the world the same way. So when you can laugh with someone, it kind of demonstrates we're on the same team and we see things the same way, and um, it releases all kinds of feel good chemicals. So uh, so, laughing. To, you, mm-hmm.
1: Here's a question for next week. Yeah. Laughter during sex. Can you laugh during sex? And it's cool because you're having that much fun. Ooh, there's a topic. No one's ever talked about when that. When there's
4: a good relationship, when there's a good communication, when there's a good connection, what, if I laugh and my partner says, what are you laughing? And I tell them, and I mean, there's no hurt feelings when there's an open, honest, authentic Mm-hmm. I mean, would you sh- so jumping into bed early, we've talked about this before, too soon before you know someone well, that's the time when laughter would be a problem because yeah. you haven't established an emotional intimacy with this person enough that you can get away with that and you don't know their personality. So some people are very sensitive. Some people, if you laugh at them in bed, you know, they or they feel you're laughing. But you're not at them. laughing at
1: them. Did, you're, well, what I'm saying really is, really funny that yes. you want to share. Yeah, yeah. I okay. meant
4: to say that you know, there's some people that if you don't know them well enough, they might take it the wrong way, right? But that's mm. when knowing somebody well enough before you sleep with them is key, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
4: Okay. I think laughter is wonderful.
1: Yeah, because people have sex and they are like on automatic pilot. It's like you know, I, I, you know, as, as I talk to everybody about these incredible subjects, you know, it's, it's like oh, this person, you know, you couldn't talk, you couldn't do this, you couldn't say anything, you had to do this. The regimentation of sex. This would be a great topic one day. It's like, well, why don't you tell a joke, have some fun, you know? Get a no, laugh I've out of never and, had that
4: experience. I know it exists, but I've never had that that regimentation.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, well, you I have don't to think be, you and it I it would put like, up with it. <laughs> Neither you nor I would, would would last very long in that situation, and that kind of, you know, life's too exciting. Yeah. But well, it's, it's out there. it's Trust a parallel me, to the it. dinner,
4: Greg. It's a parallel to yep. the Christmas dinner. If hmm. you have to have everything a certain way, and you've planned it out a certain way, and there's not room for um, going off the plan or the schedule, how mm-hmm. fun is that for anyone? It's not realistic. It's not human. It doesn't work. There's always going to be something that comes up. And same thing in the dead, if you have this plan of how it's going to go and there's no room in your head or heart for going off the off track, that doesn't sound like much fun. And it's going to, there's going to be problems, you know, your, things are going to fall short of your expectations. Whereas if you go with the flow and meet, meet the situations and the things as they arise and sort of surrender to them
1: it's mm-hmm. amazing
4: and miraculous. What, what ends up happening in the end, like some really exciting things, right?
1: Oh yeah, Without going into details. different than you could but plan we, we, much we better than you could about. plan.
4: All right. Plan. I want to touch on reconnecting mm-hmm. with your intimate partner, obviously having sex and this is hard to do if you have kids sometimes or it's a busy schedule, but you do it. You prioritize it the way you would that important football game. You prioritize it the way you would, you know, your Facebook catching up on your social media, you put a sign on the door, you give the kids some crap movies that you don't agree with to watch. It doesn't matter. <laughs> some, whatever you Elf. need to do, watch put away, feral. put aside, whatever, and you make time for an intimate couple hours, hour or two, where you get to have undisturbed fun, whatever that is like in bed. And um, it's good for the immune system. It's good for your health. You know, there's a lot of women I've spoken to, Greg, that actually say they put off sex. They put off sex. This is usually moms with kids. You know, they've been married, and, and, and it's just like a chore. It's like another chore to do. Um, oh, no. but, but these, yes, because it's just like another expectation, and their bucket wow. isn't yeah. filled. Their bucket is empty. They have nothing uh-huh. left to give. So the last thing I want to do is lay down and relax and feel like they have to be available emotionally for yet another person. Now, that being said, when the relationship is, and we're going to talk about, like, this is this is, this is in a marriage where, Basic needs are being met. It's not an awful marriage. It's a pretty decent marriage. Mm-hmm. It's just the stressors of life, right? But what they right. say is that once, once they actually do it, once they actually get in the bed and start, they're so glad they did. They're always glad they did at the end. Oh. And it's like exercise, putting on the clothes, go to the gym. It seems like a chore. You don't have time. You don't feel like it. But once you are there and you're doing it and it's over, you're like, ah, oh, best choice ever. Same thing. See it as it's a non-negotiable. It's part of your, um, health regimen—it's—it's—it's it's, it's not something you can say, well, not today or not—not not this week. It just got too busy. No, you make it part. You absolutely prioritize it as part of, um, you know, two times a week, <laughs> as part of what, which is what you do, right? Yeah. And uh, well, see, I wonder how many guys do.
1: Yeah, no, this is a huge point because you know I always relate to 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 men, you know, being one. Um, I wonder how many guys mm-hmm. come home from too much work, too much stress. You know, the boss is mm-hmm. arguing; they just had a big fight. You know, they got fired; they mm-hmm. get laid off, and uh, you know, the, the wife who's either working or not working, you know, expects mm-hmm. well, it's, it's been you know four or five days, dear, <laughs> you know. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, you know, can we do it tomorrow morning kind of thing, you know, or whatever, whatever the thing is. But uh, I think, guys, you know, this is, this is almost great unspoken because men are supposed to be able, able to have sex in any situation, in any condition, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, that's the expectation that I think men put on men, you know, that, the, that I think guys put on ourselves. I think society mm-hmm. puts that on us, too. Because you look at, uh, you, know, you know, from James Bond to whatever else. It doesn't matter. It's like, or, you know, Captain Kirk would maraud across the galaxies, you know, sleeping with every alien he could find. It's kind of fascinating, actually. this would be an interesting analogy. But how many times, and this again comes back to communication, which it always comes back to. He's like, maybe I don't feel like it now, but, you know, can we set the alarm for four in the morning? You know, take a little extra time then. I mean, what creative solutions can people do? And how do you how do you get talking about that? You know, I mean, again, it comes all comes back to no. How about no, but or no, or or not even no, but you know, just here's my situation. There's got to be ways around this. Well, if you have
4: a very tired partner, if you have a partner that's really worn out, again, and I agree, I think it comes to being sensitive to your partner, and it's back to the Mm -hmm. service to others energy. If you put their needs first, and you already have a pretty good relationship. They're going to, it's an ebb and flow. It comes in waves. Sometimes they're going to put your needs first. So if you see that they're in that state that you mm-hmm. feel like it would be good for both of you to connect intimately, then make it really easy for them.
1: You know, yeah. do all the they work at night. <laughs> they might wake up. Yeah, know. put on
4: something Just say, better. you lay back. Your job is only to enjoy what I'm doing right now. Your job is literally just to de-stress and enjoy what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Feel free to tell me what to do or let me take the lead, whatever mood you're in.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, you can either tell me or, or let me just be creative because I know your body really well now. And my, what I want to do right now is give to you. I don't want anything in return. You know, and, and you, you might be surprised. They might wake up and decide to give you something in return, but you'd be okay if they don't knowing that it all comes out in the wash. If you have a basically yeah. loving partner, a good communicating relationship, um, you know, you're definitely going to get yours, and if you don't, there's a vibrator in the drawer, so go for it. You know what I mean? It doesn't <laughs> have to always be, you know. So
1: don't be selfish. I think you don't have to always well, get yours. You men. know, the other person. They're you know, and the, it goes for men and women. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah. You're yeah. tired. You've had a long day. We we still really should connect intimately. Let me just
1: let me just do it for you. Just let me, hang let me out. take over. You can even stick your feet exactly. in
4: this massage chair while I while I go to town? <laughs>
1: Well, and that makes a lot of sense, you know, and this, which gets to the point where, you know, in, in, uh, you know, in dancing, you have a, you have a, a leader and a follower. And I'm wondering in, in sex with people, do they come to the point where the, the, it's the same leader and the same follower? And why aren't you people switching that up? You know, so that's, that's a whole other question too.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually there's someone more comfortable with one and someone more comfortable with the other. Right.
1: Hmm. Um, yeah.
4: But, but, but frequently if you get into that rut, like you're saying, not a rut, if you get into that routine where one person is always, there tends to be at least one part, part, part of the partnership that would like to play with switching up for sure. That's usually the case, but it's mm. fun to play with switching up. Who's who's the leader and, uh, and being okay with that. Right. Getting out of our yeah. comfort zone.
1: Well, so, i think some the, people have right
4: time giving up the leadership. <laughs>
1: that's weird because routine is the enemy of spontaneity. You know, and spontaneity, I think, is is the essence of of any relationship. It really is. You know, I mean, it's funny talking to you because both of us are so playful in our attitudes to everything. And so we see Mm -hmm. the joy in everything. We see the humor in everything. We see the the complexity in everything. That's why I love talking to you. You know, and the way that that you and I look at life is so different than so many other people. I'm hoping people are getting, you know, a huge benefit out of of what we're talking about here. And this is, I don't, we don't plan the subjects. Well, Dorothy does more than me. I just got to show up here. Uh, but we don't know where it goes. But the, the, but, but that that in itself is, is really uh, self-explanatory of, of how we do this, that uh, we are free to play with topics and come up with things that uh, that I've certainly never thought of before. You know, like you talking about a relationship contract, relating that to a holiday contract. I think that would be a, you could you could write a whole chapter in a book on that. and something you could mm-hmm. with people and see and see if people, you know, because we've, we've got we've got other holidays coming up. You know, we've got Valentine's coming up that this would be a great time to start planning that, uh, that Valentine's contract. Ooh.
4: Yes. And you you have to have a partner that sees that as valuable
1: mm-hmm. and
4: understands why that's important. That's. And yeah. so hopefully yeah. go out the week the before,
1: partner, <laughs> you know, pick a reasonable yeah. place to go, you know, be, be spontaneous, mm-hmm. surprise people. Don't, don't go by expectations. And uh Yeah.
4: Well, since my topic was loosely, you know, how to reconnect with the intimate partner after Christmas dresses, I did want to add one fun thing. Well, there's two.
1: One,
4: and I, because I have a hard stop at eleven. My three little beauties are waiting for me. No, oh, to okay. I
1: and mean, I always pick it up it'll, it'll still be, it'll still <laughs> be a sort of like holiday well, aftermath. But yeah, go ahead.
4: Well, there's there's two Tell very me. brief things. One, I love the spontaneous little love notes that you hide in their clothing or hide on their on the bathroom mirror, a post-it note that says something, I appreciate you. Um, you're so beautiful to me. You know your partner and what they love to hear. You know mm-hmm. the words that melt their heart and make them feel valuable. So just a few little words on a post-it note. Some of them are going to see it. Maybe their day planner that they open the first time the first thing when they get to work or their coat pocket, you know they're going to reach in if they keep their keys in there. Those little things go a long Way and even if you're not feeling it, even if they pissed you off, even if you're like oh, so it doesn't deserve it, do it yeah. anyway because it'll start the ripple effect, soften their heart, they'll begin to think about you different. They might even apologize. They might even change the behavior. It's just a beautiful thing to do. And the last thing, I have this son. I have this son crazy idea. of I thought this would be fun after Christmas. So relatives have gone, presents are maybe under the tree around the house. You haven't put them all away yet. You know, mm-hmm. um, kind of the house is in shambles. What a fun little game it might be that we have yes. this little friendly comp- friendly competition. Okay, so say, say of all the presents, you know, sometimes you don't get everything you want. Sometimes people get creative and they give you something, you know, that's a little odd or unusual or you know, you might get a few things off your wish list and maybe some random crazy things, who knows, but like Uh a fun little game might be, might be, we have to compete and we each think of one of the gifts we got. We have to think of a way to use it creatively in bed. (laughs) Mm, Okay. Whoever thinks of the most, whoever thinks of the most fun, unusual or hilarious way to use a Chris, a random Christmas gift in bed wins or just have fun creatively coming up with ideas. (laughs)
1: Now, I'm pretty creative, so now my mind is, is going through all kinds of stuff. But, uh, yeah, do you do you have a, a particular a food item or a device or an article right, of clothing? I think
4: everyone can use their imagination. Start uh, looking around yeah. your house at what you got for uh, Christmas yeah. and yeah. Start, start using your imagination. But I thought that would be something that would not That's only hysterical. be like with laughter, laughter, yep. creativity, maybe some kinkiness in there. Um, naughtiness. You certainly aren't going to tell the relatives, "Oh, we really enjoyed the, you yeah. know,
1: well, thank you for the, the cashmere thank you blanket the, you got we, us." Yeah. How about the ugly Christmas sweater where you know you like you meet wearing only your ugly Christmas sweater?
4: And maybe you cut holes in it in just the right places.
1: <laughs> well, you see, see, now nah, I, I take it only so far, and then then, then you you, uh, you know, keep going. I like it. I'm impressed. I mean,
4: yeah. you're not you've, gonna you've really. You've enhanced wear it. my vision. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note. Uh, love and laughter. I love our talks. Yep. and um,
1: I do too. We'll meet again next Contact. week. <laughs> yep. Contact information and then you're Dorothy
4: at Dorothy Diana. I'm on Facebook, Dorothy Diana. And um, I, am, I have a website, Yoni Yoon, which means feminine rhythm. I mostly specialize in leading women to find their divine feminine through music, dance, somatic movement, joy, bliss, sexiness. So yoniyun.com, Y-O-N-I-Y-U-N.com. And um, as always, it's been really great. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thank you too. It's been as always. I don't know. I'm so glad we met, and we're able to do this. You know, once a week, it's just fabulous. Talk to you next week. Let's see what happens.
4: All right. Bye bye.
1: Okay. Bye now. This has been a great show. I've really enjoyed the show today. Uh, and so, uh, you know, please share it. Please pass it around. You know, we, we have everything. You know, we have politics, sex. You know, Monday is like politics and sex Monday. It just seems to be that way. Legal stuff, constitutional stuff, and very personal stuff. And I like that balance because that's, that's what makes the world go around. And so we're able to do these things. If you have suggestions for programs, you know, or reporters, or if you want to be a reporter, you know, on Action Radio, if you have a topic that uh, you really like to talk about, you know, come find me, you know, greg at com. You know, uh, we have live chat. You can, you can get the show that way. There's just a million ways to reach me. I'm on Facebook. I've got about 22 different groups now. Uh, you know, and then they all start with Action Radio. So you just put Action Radio on Facebook. You'll see this long list of things. And that's how you find me. The two big websites are this one, of course, blogtalkradiocom slash citizenaction. And the other one is where we write our legislation. And that is WriteYourLaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, WriteYourLaws.com. So after that chat, I, think I thought a little peaceful music might kind of uh, uh, send us on our way today. And I'll be back tomorrow, uh, 7, a.m., 7 a.m. Central Time, and we are heard worldwide. And so I uh, catch the podcast. I'd be curious, you know, people can message us if they're awake during the live show, you know, where you're listening from. That's always fun to hear, too. But I will see you back tomorrow morning. Uh, starts off with Brianna Cannon with Government Inquiry uh, in the first hour. And then uh, Josie Cossey with the Latina Report in the second hour. And the third hour, I have no clue. I haven't thought that far ahead. But I will see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening.